Welcome to One Sweet Dream, a podcast where we explore the dream that was and is the Beatles. Welcome. In today's episode, we are getting back to get back. Oh no, we're not done with the film. It gives us such an incredible glimpse into the Beatles at such a pivotal time that I still think there's plenty to discuss. Plus, all of my wonderful, brilliant guests provide new insight and perspective into what's going on. So I will continue to revisit Get Back for the foreseeable future. Maybe we can call this level two get back analysis. Now today I have a very special episode with the exceptionally talented and wonderfully amusing musician, Martin Carr. You might know Martin from the Boo Radleys, Brave Captain, or Martin Carr and What Future. Now to set the stage here, Martin and I had three conversations on this subject over the past few months. Martin was a brilliant guest with terrific insights and I had a ball chatting with him about this subject. And as a result of these multiple conversations, I ended up with plenty of interview to share. So I've broken it into two parts. Basically, this interview is an amalgamation of the three conversations, which are mostly in order. Now, I loved all of our conversations, but I especially loved our last one. So I would encourage listening to the last half of part one and part two, which also includes my host postscript at the end. Again, I love the whole thing, so I recommend listening to it all, but I just wanted to highlight that I especially love the latter half. Also, you'll notice that there is a lot of ambient noise throughout this episode, as Martin and I both had our geriatric 16-year-old animals on and off our laps throughout the episode. I want to thank Martin for being so open and honest and for spending so much time with me on this subject. I love chatting with him, and I hope you enjoyed this interview. This is Martin Carr. Well, hello, Martin. Welcome to Once We Dream. Well, thank you for flying me out to LA. Put me up in this beautiful hotel. <laughs> You're quite welcome. Happy to have you here. What do you think? Uh, it's lovely. It's really sunny. Uh, <laughs> <and pop. laughs> 
It is very sunny, and there was even a teeny, teeny, tiny earthquake just, just to make it very LA. That woke me up, actually. Yeah. Really? Okay, so we were talking about Get Back, and、uh, I know that when you first watched, I think part one, you said to me, you were like, "I'm throwing out all my books." So. <laughs> I am dying to hear、um, your thoughts on it because that suggests to me that it was quite revelatory to you. Is that right? It was, and I I watched it in quite a weird place. I was on tour with、uh, the Charlatans,、mm-hmm. and、um, because we were supporting, and because of COVID restrictions, we had to leave as soon as we played. We didn't we, you know, couldn't stay for their show. Oh wow! Okay. So.、Uh, I was in bed by half nine. It was the best <laughs> in bed with the Beatles, and oh,、uh, that's I, okay. That's okay. I watched a couple of hours、uh, over three. Oh, it wasn't even that because it was over about five days. I watched、yeah. it, and、um, it was dreamlike. I couldn't really take it in at first,、uh, which is why at the end I got so、uh, <laughs> fundamental. <laughs> right. I, I I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was overwhelming, and. Uh, it wasn't until really the second time round that, that it sunk in, but I, it, it was just you know it was everything that I'd wanted in terms of just being able to hang out with them while they were being natural, yeah, and beatly, you know, yeah, and because because the film Let It Be is you know it's 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 the same thing, but it isn't the same thing because it makes no sense. Yes,、um, no, it's not the same thing, and the relationships aren't really clear. John Lennon's—he's not really in it as a presence. Yeah, you know? it so doesn't have a story that all of the context of the time was just read into it, you know. And I think we've all read that into it ever since. I, I have to、um, thank you for the one sweet dream because I—it I, wouldn't have—it wouldn't have been the same without all that context. Watching it this time. Oh, good.、Uh, yeah. I love hearing that. Yeah, I think the context is is absolutely critical. There's so much going on under the surface, but thank you. I I, I love hearing that. So, what surprised you about each Beatle watching the film?、Um, I think, in general, what surprised me, or, or what I was struck by, was just、um, how, how calm it was. Because when you read about them, it's、mm-hmm. always they're on tour, or, you're, or people who've met them, it's on tour, or you know, it's just a crazy time whenever it is. And、um, it's just—it seems like the four of them is home. You know? Yes. And so, and I, and I didn't really expect that from John. I thought that he would kind of resent being there, or it would come across that he resented being there. I, I listened to a lot of the tapes years ago, and you don't because I couldn't see the pictures. Yeah, they just didn't seem as close.、Mm-hmm. I didn't realise they sat so close to each other, and you know. And they were looking、um, at each other constantly, which constantly. makes a difference. 
Yeah. Incredible. Um, but John, whatever else was going on in his life, he just, he seemed to be that that was where he belonged. And I didn't really get, you know, you watch him in Imagine, and that has, there's, there's an edge to him there. Yes. Which I'm sure he had, you know, at the time, but he just, he just seems at home. And he was a lot more gentle than mm -hmm. I was expecting. And the work ethic as well. You know, he was, he would be disappointed if he fluffed a line or yeah, yeah, yeah. if he turned up late. Yeah. And uh, which was um, surprising to me. You know, everyone loves it when he fluffs his line on um, Don't Let Me Down on the roof. But when he's listening back to it, he knows he's messed up. Oh, I noticed that too. Like John does not look happy. Like everybody else is like, oh, that's just John. And John himself, you can almost see him talking to himself saying, oh, you know? Yeah, because he messes that like, same line up all the way through yeah. um, when they're doing, you know, when they're rehearsing it. And I think it's just something that it happens to me as well. It gets stuck in your head. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes you're on the stage and you're coming up to the line that you know you always forget and you forget it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, now that you bring up Imagine, it's interesting because yes, that's the nervier John and that's kind of the famous John. But to me in that film, John doesn't look comfortable or happy. Mm -hmm. You know, he seems like he's got something to prove. John doesn't seem at peace. You know, that's kind of the man of peace, John Lennon, our image of him. And to me, he seems very uncomfortable there. And, you know, you see him recording and he look, he looks pissed off. I guess he's driven, but he looks way calmer with the Beatles in Get Back. Yeah, and he, he, he's not under pressure to lead, uh, whereas on his own, he's responsible for the whole thing. And he is tetchy with uh, Phil Spector. And... But after uh, after the Beatles, his radicalism doesn't last very long. And it's almost like he needs that structure to test, you know. He needs something to to rebel against. He needs something. Um, it's like once he's out and free, yeah, he's got nothing else to kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, there's no walls to push against. Well, like he kind of uses Paul through the media, you know, on that album, the How Do You Sleep? Like he's still yeah. kind of pushing against Paul at that point. Yeah. But you're right. Like that's the thing is that, like, for example, you know, I've seen a couple of people comment that they love it when George kind of pushes against Paul. And it was like, yeah, that's kind of funny because Paul is there and pushing it. You know, if Paul wasn't there saying, let's do something it would just kind of be lame, but because they've got something to push off of and they kind of have that tension, it's fun, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that it's just a tension about the way, well, one thing, if you notice when they're having that argument, they're both wearing incredibly itchy looking jumpers, which I don't think helps. <laughs> so you think that that's just making them both irritable? Yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> it's, just a, uh, it's just about, that argument seems to me to be just about, I mean, Aside from the, the you know the long-standing problems that they have about George playing guitar and Paul playing guitar about me about method you know yes George would rather just play it through over and over and over while they work out their part but Paul has to stop you know every three bars and say oh can we just go over that again yeah it seems to be just a difference in approach there but what I found interesting was that uh, once they go back to it they get over it fairly quickly. You know, like this yeah. is this infamous argument. And, 
you know, they just kind of get past it. And George is like, no, 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 let's, let's keep going on this. You know, Paul's like, well, let's go. You know, I, I like the fact that he was like, no, let's not, let's not make this into a thing. Let's just, you know, go back to it. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think they know that it's not a personal thing and they're at work. It's, this is what is surprising to me is, um, they're at work and they really act like they are, you know, they, they, they do a lot of jamming and a lot of messing about, but one of my favorite bits is, um, when Paul is singing, um, she came in through the bathroom window Yeah. and John's, uh, he's at piano, Paul's on his bass. And they're just messing about in the verses. Yeah. You know, yes. Yeah, so when John's uh, calling back to him, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. they're doing funny accents. But then when it gets to, didn't anybody tell her? Yeah. They both go straight there because that's the bit that they have to work out the harmony for that bit. Yeah. And it gets all serious. I, I love it. It's fantastic. George makes me laugh because I contend that George has kind of a resting bitch face. Like he kind of looks, he looks very sort of annoyed when he's thinking, but I think that's just his thinking face, like what his concentration face. Yes, I agree so. And then when he's, he's, this one is, he's funny. He's kind of going like this between them. It's very cute actually. Like he's sort of like looking at John and looking at Paul. And again, it's to me sometimes George seems very young, like not in a immature way, just sweet, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that was one of those times. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think George's mustache helps that either. (laughs) It it makes him look really grumpy. Because at the beginning when George says, um, oh, we've been recorded now and he's all clean shaven. Yeah. He looks really happy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? I actually do think that the mustache makes him look slightly older though. True. Because later when George is in that India scene, he's got, I don't know how these men's facial hair grows so fast. I know. (laughs) I don't know. Like all of a sudden it's like a week later and he's got a full mustache and he's got a really cool looking outfit on. And there he looks more suave. Like he just looks older and more debonair. Whereas he looks very young at the beginning. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I like his good mornings. I love their good mornings to each other. And then remember one time when George comes in and he was like, sorry, I'm late. I was too hungry. I had to have breakfast. Like it was so cute. If you, if you need an excuse and then pause (laughs) now. And everybody looking at George is like, it's good. You had breakfast. I think you need to eat breakfast, George. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I was just thinking about the, um, the methods of working, the, the seemingly aimless jams. And I think they're just, um, getting into a space yeah. where they can create. And, uh, you know, when you see Paul doing the get back thing, I had that on the recording for years and I thought he was just on his own in a big space jamming away and you can mm-hmm. hear him, uh, you hear him get it. And then, and I, and I thought that was amazing. I didn't realize there was a, a vocal track as well. Um, and everyone's kind of freaking out about that. But I think people who write songs are saying, well, that's, that's how you write songs. That's how, <laughs> that's how it's done. You know, yeah, what do you yeah. think it's done? <laughs> um, 
you get yourself into that space, that that creative realm, if you like, um, where things happen. And you have to force it like he does. You can't just sit around waiting for it to come to you. Right. You mean as in he, like, what is amazing to you about that situation? Is anything impressive to you or is that just the way songs are written? What's impressive to me is what is the end, pro- is the end yeah. product, obviously. Um, but yeah, I, I recognize what he's doing. And, you know, if you if you want a certain type of song or, or a certain type of feel, that's what you start with. So he starts with just a rhythm. You know, he wants a fast one. He wants a, a mm-hmm. what do they call them, a pot boiler. Um, and, you know, and the rest obviously is, is just pure McCartney. I think that's what he does when he when he gets in every morning and starts playing the piano. When he's at the piano, he's not, he, he, he's kind of um, not as friendly as he is. When he's in that space, everything else is um, anything external. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of doesn't irritate him, but he seems far away when he's talking yes. to Mal about the lyrics for whatever it was. Um, Along the Winding Road. Yeah. Yeah. And he'll just, you know, he'll just do one word because he wants to get back into his little his little zone. Yeah. What I found interesting was how quickly Paul could just get in the zone. Yeah. I think he does it all the time. You know, he knows where it is. It's not like, um, you know, George probably will, I've got to write a song. John will, I've got to sit down and write a song. And it's kind of, um, with Paul, it's life. That's what he does. Mm. You know, he's constantly, that's where he wants to be in that zone, I think. Yeah, I I get that sense too that that's just kind of what he lives and breathes. And and do you think John is different? Like you said that John's a little bit different in that he sits down. Or I don't know. I can't imagine John writing the, the songs that he writes. Uh, well, some of them, some of them anyway. I dig a pony. I just I don't understand that riff. It sounds like um, I wrote once. It sounded like a possessed shopping trolley with a fucked wheel. <laughs> I don't know where that comes from and no I I don't get the same I think they come to him I don't think he puts himself out there in the same way that Paul does Hmm. so more as an inspiration strikes yeah whereas um Paul will, will walk into that room where yep. inspiration is and just wander yeah. around. You know. Yeah. Uh, you can tell that by his output at the time, I think, as well, because the others, uh, John says, uh, we've done all my songs. Well, both of them. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I love that. Yeah. I know, and Paul's like, well, it's okay, I have 14 more. Yes. Yeah. But George, George, George has yeah. a lot of songs, yeah. A song a night, yeah. It's his last night song. Yeah. What surprised you or delighted you about Ringo? Ringo is Ringo. <laughs> he's he's kind of. I'm surprised about how uh, forthright he is. You know, if he doesn't yep. want to do something, he's not going to do it. Yep, like it's secure. You know, they all seem pretty secure, um, except maybe John. Um, but. He does it without being, you know, he's not, he's not rock star. He doesn't demand things. He's not a diva, no. He, he just puts his foot down. Yeah. And my favourite bit of Ringo is when um, Billy takes over the piano on Old Brown Shoe. And then, because uh, George has been playing piano. Yeah, yeah. And Ringo's playing along. But then when Billy takes over, that's two great musicians there. 
and they really get into uh, they recognize each other i love that mm. um it's just sweet you know it's everything that you read about ringo he's just a he's just a sweet guy and uh he's certainly no you know he's an equal yes yes he is and he's, he... he's, he's just fantastic I, I don't i was talking to someone the other day who was saying oh they should have had a ginger baker or a um john bonham no <laughs> right. been awful yeah drumming is so sympathetic to what they're doing and he's not just keeping a beat you know he's he's talking alongside the other instruments this person who said that why did he or she say that you know, i like... don't know um it's not someone who's a, a big beatles fan okay that was my problem when i went to see mccartney is that i thought it was too bombastic it was right, too right. big yeah what I found about Ringo was how sophisticated and, like you said, sort of um, grounded he was. You know, yeah. Ringo was like, I'm here, I'm game. And, you know, I'm like six foot above everyone else. That's so weird. <laughs> Did you have a little ladder around the back of that? Thing. It's true. So he could survey everything that was going yeah. on. But, uh, but he, and Ringo has this kind of just innate intelligence Ringo is like you said he's a full equal he's interested in everything yeah yeah it's it's um he doesn't feel the pressure maybe that George feels George wants to be equal not just in terms of their friendships and their value in the band but as a songwriter and Ringo yeah. doesn't have that at all you know yeah it, it puts Ringo into a much easier position in the band he you know he's lovely and he's not a threat to the other yeah. songwriters yeah I like it when um, Lindsay Hogg says, uh, I love you. And, it, and he says it so often that it just loses its meaning. But, <laughs> but Ringo says, I love you too. It's like, it's so sweet. It was. I loved it. Yeah. surprised you about George? We talked about George, but did anything else? I was surprised about um, that they deferred to him in matters of uh, tech. You know, he was the techie guy. <laughs> yeah, he would yeah. talk about what PA, you know, they should use, I mean, and they end up using his gear. Straight from the beginning, he's talking about where's the mixing desk, where's the console, mm -hmm. um, and the sound. I didn't realize that about, about him. Mm -hmm. I knew he was, uh, you know, a guitar nerd, but even Paul, you know, asks him occasionally, mm -hmm. uh, or defers to him, uh, you know, in that. I don't know. I do feel, I feel sorry for him, which I've never really done before. I didn't realise, despite having, you know, read all of these books that talk about how he struggled to get his songs across, I was kind of surprised by how hard it was and how little that they kind of listened. I, I was surprised that he, he'd ever got anything recorded. But after the after he comes back, they're a lot more amenable. Mm -hmm. They're a lot more, um, you know, I want to do a George song. And then when <laughs> he's playing them um, uh, for you, Blue, and Paul says, oh, it's nice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah. That meant a lot to me, so it must have meant a lot to George. Oh, it meant a lot to you that he said that to George? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I like to see them getting on. <laughs> Weird, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> I really love to see them happy. <laughs> That's so sweet. rain into a paper cup they slither wildly as they slip away across the universe what surprised you about john i was surprised at how uh, easygoing he was i mean he's very um kind of distant in twickenham certainly before george leaves there's a few days there where he's just kind of staring i know that stare what do you mean? Something. You know that stare. Uh, it's like, um, I mean, it could be anything, but uh, and I know most people will just say heroin, but some days, uh, especially when you're with people that you know and love, and um, but you get periods where you just feel completely disassociated from your surroundings. And that's what I that's what I get from it because I can kind of, you see things from your own experiences, obviously. I did an interview with um, Amy Mann, and she said she recognized it too. She she was like, when I look at John, he looks a little traumatized to me, and she said, and I think he's disassociating there. And her perspective was, he needs the Beatles. They ground him. The more he's safe around them, Absolutely. the better he is. Well, you know, he wanted to go and live on an island with them. And yeah. He's quite clingy in a way. <laughs> he's just, he's, he's lovely. Uh, it's, I, I, I just didn't expect that at all. Um, you know, when he smiles, it's just everything changes. Yeah. I love it when he comes in and um, he's decided to wear continuity clothes. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> that, that's growing moss, yes. <laughs> yeah. I love his... Um, there's a little, a couple of little insights into his guitar play, which I I love his guitar playing. Yeah, his rhythm guitar playing. When he when they ask him to turn the bass on it down, and he says, "Well, I like to get a drone going." Yeah, he looks so upset. Yeah, <laughs> I think that John loves the camera being on him, and I know that from interviews that he did. You know, he talked about like he's he's happy when cameras are on him he said when the cameras go is when he gets a bit depressed sometimes well i think he doubts his own existence and if he's not a beetle and if he's not on camera then does he exist you know if he makes a record and no one hears it does he exist mm. uh, which is something that i kind of recognize as well uh, that you that you have kind of built up a character almost and if you're not that character then who are you that's interesting that that would explain maybe his need to recreate more quickly than the others a new identity, you know? And, you know, obviously he's scared because so many people um, that he loved uh, yeah. are dead. You know, it's not just it's not just that they've he's fallen out with them. Yeah. You know, his well, uncle, his mom and Stu. Yeah, Paul in the, in the lyrics in his newest book, he repeated that John thought he was a jinx on men, like a bunch of times in it. I, I think it's something that Paul has decided, like that's an issue, you know? And he said even when they were young, he'd have to reassure John that it, it's not your fault, you know? Wow. And I guess maybe Brian's died. Yeah, of course, yeah. 
Mr. Epstein. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, but when the cameras are on, and, and you can see that, like, I notice there's a little bit of a shift when they moved. And I feel like Paul pulls back just a little bit. He does, but John also makes an effort. Yes, and John steps up a little bit more. Yeah, he he's um, he looks like he's had a wash. <laughs> and he does. Uh, like, he looks like he feels better. Yeah, yeah. I think he um, he's remembered, you know. Lennon's remembered. And um, I do enjoy this. This is great. This is where I belong. you about Paul? Oh, everything. It's just, uh, he's just a wonder. He's like, um, he's just so aware of what they were and what they are and what they're going to be uh, when he talks about, you know, 50 years. What do you think that is? <laughs> it's just the way he is, you know. And he's, a, I noticed as well that he's aware, he's the only one who seems to be aware when they're performing or, or jamming or whatever, of not just the other three, but everyone there. Yeah. You know, he's playing for everyone. Yeah. And uh, he's just he's just so aware constantly. And just he, he can face multiple fronts. And, um, and, and whether he's talking to uh, whether he's talking to uh, George Martin or, or, or one of the kids who are just clapping the boards. <laughs> you know. He's so, just so comfortable in himself, which I love. Okay. I just love how kind of happy he is and how uh, laid back and funny yeah. he is. Um, I, I, and I was surprised by how open he was. Mm -hmm. about, Me too. About, well, just about everything. About, um, you know, you read these things about him being the boss after Mr. Epstein <laughs> passed away. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but... You really think that they, that they talked about it? I didn't realize that was something that was that, that, that they would have talked about so openly. He must be really fed up to be talking to them like that to say, you know, I need some help. I need you guys to to help me. And obviously, he's talking to John, but so that that yeah, that was that was a big surprise to me. Yeah, talking to John, and I think talking to George too, just saying like, look, I know I can seem full on, but like I'm, I'm put in a position where I feel like I have to be. And then he would go back to his, um, you know, I'm not telling you what to play. I'm just saying, play, <laughs> play it this my... way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying I'm right, but you know, if you just look yeah. at it my way, you'd see I yeah. was right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just see it my way and we can work it out. <laughs> it should be called I can work it out. <laughs> Um, one thing that I found interesting about Paul is that um, there's a, more of an innocence. Like when you see this, there's more of an innocence about Paul than I would have thought. You know, as in sometimes you just see him processing stuff and like emotions, you know, you can see it on his face. Like he's mm -hmm. thinking about things and you kind of get this sense that Paul is, um, you know, he's got it 
together and is in control. You know, you get this image of Paul being this master manipulator. And it's not like that. You know, I didn't think that looking at him. I found him much more open and more innocent, as in he's trying. He's trying to the best of his abilities. And he doesn't always know what to do, you know? I know that. that He doesn't know what to do about... um about John and Yoko because that that is bothering him the uh, yeah. the writing that he's struggling to write with her there yeah and uh you know I can see that as someone who's never been able to write with anybody else <laughs> there, um you know I can see how that could be would be a problem but you know everything seems to be heightened yeah it's like we're either happy or we're arguing you know there's no middle ground listen can you just you know, I love you, um, but I really find it hard to work with him. Because knowing that John is just going to explode, probably. It doesn't really come across in the film, but you get the impression that they do tend, or Paul walks on eggshells a bit around John in certain things. Because in some things he'll say, you know, John, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, we need this, we need that. But if he's going to complain about Yoko being there, he won't do it to John, he'll do it to, he'll talk about it with, with the others. He did talk about it with the others, but the others were really strident about it. It does come out that it is bothering him, but he's not leading that charge in terms of complaining, you know? Yeah. Like, they're all coming in and saying, Paul, step it up and go and talk to him. Yeah. And he's like, no. How do you read that, the fact that he won't talk to John about that? I just think he's, I I just think he knows that it won't go well. I think he knows that John's in a position where he's feeling attacked because of his because of leaving Cynthia and and hooking up with Yoko you know they received some pretty nasty and negative press yeah I think he's just nervous that John will get really defensive and the whole thing might get derailed and um I don't know I don't know and and also he loves John and he doesn't want to have to tell him how to live his life and who he can and can't have with him mm-hmm. yeah and last time you said that you can understand John having Yoko there because you would be somebody who would have somebody with yeah. you. An emotional support human. Yes, an emotional support person. Um, so that you could understand John's perspective. I can, but um, I mean, and I guess that person maybe used to be Paul. Um, and, and I don't know if that, you know, maybe that's hurting Paul too. And he doesn't really want to face up to that. That he's no longer that person? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, see, you know, I, I think Paul maybe doesn't totally understand the games that John's playing too, you know, or maybe he does. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, you said last time, and I, I agree with this, that I think part of the reason Yoko's there is emotional support person is also to make Paul jealous. Yeah. And you know what I mean? I guess this is my perspective, is that John doesn't replace his relationship with Paul, with Yoko. He uses Yoko in his relationship with Paul. Yeah. You know what I but mean? I don't think, yeah. do you think if Paul had, had said, um, look, John, I, I um, uh, can we just go back to the way we were and, and start, you know, working together, seeing each other every day, blah, blah. Would John then have said, okay, I don't, well, I don't need Yoko now at work with me. You know, I'm not sure if it seems like it's gone too far now maybe in the white album if he had done that like the problem is is that john and yoko are also doing drugs together at that point you know and i do think that yoko being there is partly yoko wanting to be there maybe if they just said what was on their minds and how they felt but 
people don't people don't do that, I guess. I mean, that's the question is, what does John need? You know, because if John needs a, an emotional support person there, why is he so insecure? You know, what does he need? Because you can see watching the film that Paul is very um, sensitive. He's giving John a lot of attention, mm-hmm. you know, but but then again, John then complains a year later that finally he's got people who love him. Like, yeah. I just think maybe the amount of attention and support John needs is excessive, you know? Oh, yeah, <laughs> I think so. Yeah. And so uh, maybe yeah. he's and maybe he's conflating the Beatles with um, just all the, all the kind of stuff that happened to him India onwards. I still don't know what happened in India or. Yeah. Because it's, 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 I found it weird that um, Michael Lindsay Hogg mentions um, he uses the word wound, this wound mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. have. Where's he got that from? You know? I don't, that's very interesting that he has put his finger on the fact that there's a wound. So it's either a known thing that's being discussed or he's picked up on that, you know? Yeah, I w- yeah, but he uses that. I, I don't think that's a word that you would normally use unless you'd heard John say it or or someone say it. Wound, it's... Um, that struck me that, that, yeah, that they have talked about it or John's talked about it. Didn't you think John looked uncomfortable when he mentioned it? Yes, absolutely. And that's why um, uh, Dennis kind of um, breaks the tension there by saying, oh, Paul said everything that you've just said about the uh, plastic. <laughs> you know, Paul said that's what you'd say. Yeah. I thought it was a really sweet thing to do because he, he, kind of, he can kind of sense that John needs that at that point because the conversation is getting a bit bleak. That's an interesting observation. Where did he get this word from, you know? Mm. And I just wonder if that's a known thing that there's a wound between John and Paul. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And um, it seems to be, it seems to be India for me. Um, because so in um, uh, Hunter Davis. Yep. You know, they seem to be fully committed to each other. And John is perfectly happy. And then after India. Yeah. Yeah. After India, something happens. Um, yeah. He comes home, leaves his wife, gets Yoko, uh, and then and there's something between him and Paul. Yes, it's that period that something happens. You know, obviously in the breakup series, we identify this period because that's when John goes through this really bad period in his life. You know, Pete Shelton says yeah. he's never seen John so humiliated and down. So whatever happened, the relationship that's most damaged after that is Lennon and McCartney. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so let's talk about the India scene. Something that actually struck me is that right before the India scene, Ringo comes in and he's wearing his India shirt, which is probably what triggers all the tough bit. Yeah. And and John goes, uh, he said, oh, have you been to India? And he sort of tugs at it. And then he's like, I was looking at mine next to my pepper suits yesterday and he's got this look on his face and I found it very touching it's kind of a sad look you know like wistful or something in that and you know when you look at 67 it's such an incredible year of closeness for the Beatles you know like John says that was the peak for Lennon and McCartney he moves in with Paul to write the songs he writes all you need is like he says he's coming out of his depression they meet the Maharishi he goes on TV and says he's never been happier. There was something building at that and point. Paul, um, and Paul trips with him as well, you know, which must have been a big thing for John. 
I guess. And it just shows how, because I, I guess it was against Paul's inclinations at the time. So, yeah, I'm just agreeing with you. <laughs> they, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Well, that's the problem is we don't have enough information. You know, we can put together that, okay, the dynamic changes massively. So what happens? And, you know, Yoko's always been an easy out. Like, well, Yoko came in and changed everything, but it's not something happened before then because John comes back from India, goes through this very depressed period and then goes to New York and then gets together with Yoko. Like there's a space there. So she's not what drove like the end of India. But then then there's that intriguing India scene in the, um, in the get back. Did you read anything into that? Where they're talking about it? Or yeah, the... yeah, yeah, where they're talking about. Um, it was um, a lot more lighthearted than it comes across in Let It Be. I thought in Let It Be, it's like uh, Paul is almost like he's mocking John and John doesn't look happy at all. Um, but they give much more context in, in, in Get Back. I don't know. I mean, maybe John is embarrassed because he might feel that he'd surrendered some of himself for, for nothing as well, you know, because it didn't end well. Yeah. Because I don't, I, you know, I, don't, I know nothing, you know, I know that they went, I know they wrote all those great songs, you hear yeah. the odd thing, but really a lot of it is a mystery. Yeah, well, we know that John and Paul went apparently and wrote together every day in the afternoon, you know, and so mm -hmm. and John references that. So again, that was a period of closeness. Yeah, pa Paul left and then John seems to have gone, you know, there's a trend here. John wants everyone to live together in yes. a space, you know, and I think when they leave, especially Paul, not Ringo, because Ringo's got a reason to leave. But when Paul leaves, you know, maybe it just said to him that Paul was less committed than he thought yeah because maybe before that john really felt that he was getting somewhere with um in india and that he was finding some kind of calm yeah and uh, and sometimes and sometimes something happens where you realize that the person close to you doesn't feel the same at all yeah about yeah. about something that you're both involved in uh and that can come I guess that can come as a bit of a shock. Why Why did Paul go? Was it, was it um, just got fed up of it? <laughs> no, actually, he had always, back? yeah, he had always said that he, you know, he was going for a month. And actually, it's interesting because these things come up. There was an article from before he left saying he's going for a month. So it wasn't like we always wondered if that was just an excuse, but apparently he sort of stuck to, and I think Jane wasn't that into it from the accounts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, it could, it could be, or it could be John knowing that I think he wants all the people he loves to be committed to him and there. And maybe when Paul left that made him feel like he wasn't safe, but that could have been in John's mind. Like Paul, I, I suspect that Paul would have always been committed to John, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And remained so, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. He probably, yeah. I think he felt, you know, he had, he had all his mates around him and he had this thing every day where they they would write and so when paul left maybe john just drifted again yeah it, to me it seems like there's three different conversations going on you know there's paul wanting to talk about his film and kind of wanting to i think talk about india in a positive way yeah and then sort of he's framing it as we weren't ourselves there so whatever happened i think that maybe he's framing it in that we weren't really ourselves. And then, but John comes back with his very kind of serious, like, well, who were we? You know, John's kind of countering him. 
saying, well, yeah. no, I was myself, actually. I don't, you know, regret anything that happened there. And, uh, you know, and, and it's interesting that he goes, well, who was writing all those songs in, in, our, in your room? And Paul kind of looks a little taken back. And he's like, well, yeah, us. It, it was just interesting. I think it's how, um, how, uh, um, how evolved they were, because George is obviously very serious. Yes. And for him, it was a very serious thing. Yes. And he completely kills the conversation. No, he does. <laughs> um, I feel like there's some conversation going on between John and Paul. And like, I get the sense that John is alluding to something that kind of kills Paul's buzz. And then, you know, and then George kills all of their buzz with, like, yeah. do you regret it? And, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, it'd be interesting to see that if there is a lot of... Um footage and if the if something's going to be done you know it's just like when you think everything's been done they'll find something else i love the uh there's a bit in shotton's book where they decide that they're going to have a, a meditation session at paul's house i think it is i don't know where they are and um they'll sit around in a circle and at one point uh, pete opens his eyes and ringo's just sitting there smoking <laughs> and, 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 and winks at him <laughs> That's hilarious. Ringo's just so cool. You know, he doesn't feel badly about it. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah and in, in um, Hunter's book, he talks about the fact that, you know, when Paul and Jane get back, that, that it was the only thing that divided them was like their view on the Maharishi. Of course, their lack of division didn't last very long, but it's an yeah, interesting yeah. scene. John is being kind of odd though. Like John is oddly intense. And so I think that there is a clash between we weren't who we were and John saying, but we were, I don't regret anything. One thing that Jackson did cut out was uh, John goes, um, I don't, Bob yes, exactly. Yeah. And so, and I was really glad I thought, oh good, they've got, and then, but then he includes it, he puts it in later. Well, yeah, John mentions it a couple of times. Why were you yeah. glad he cut it? I, well, you know, I shouldn't be because it happened and it's real. Um, yeah. But it's just, it's not something that, um, you know, it's something that you should regret. But it does seem to be at the forefront of his mind as well. So there is a bravado thing. Hello. There's a, it's kind of a bravado because later he says, uh, he's talking about a fight, isn't he? And he's saying, oh, I remember Bob Waller. Oh, yeah. When he's talking to George, George Martin comes like, yeah, yeah. That, it's interesting how he says things like that, but you're right. Like, I noticed that, that how often John mentions Bob Wooler. Yeah. Just in light, it's, like in his interviews. Yeah. I think he probably got some kind of buzz out of it, but at the same time, um, probably quite ashamed as well, I think, because it was just there all the time in his, in his mind. Yeah, if... I think it was really meaningful to him. Like, this mm -hmm. is 1969, and he's still... That was 1963, yeah. and yeah. John mentions it twice, you know? Yeah. So, but it's interesting that you said you were glad that that was gone. And that's the thing is, I think that, um, I think Jackson cleaned up John a little bit in this, and I'm not sure if that's because that was a request or if that was just his inclination, was just like, yeah, we don't need that in. That's not nice, you know? Well, they, um, on the tapes I heard, they, they do spend an awful lot of time uh talking about Michael Lindsay Hogg behind his back as well. Yeah. It doesn't seem like the end of anything, especially if he saw it without knowing what happened afterwards. Yes. It seems like a band that are, are asking themselves questions and things need to be sorted out, certainly. But the music that they're making and, and uh, you know, they seem to be having a great time while they're making it. Um, 
and then they get back to Savile Row and John's saying this is this is fantastic you know we yeah, don't have yeah. to go to Abbey Road and we don't have to go anywhere you know there's no bosses all our mates are here we're making great music it sounds good that to me that seems like um you know what they should have or could have carried on doing yeah yeah he said it feels like home like I'm happy here and you know he says to Michael Lindsay Hogg John said he did not want to be Beatle you know yeah I don't know it's 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 the Klein thing is it and as soon as John says um you know whatever happens Klein does me now I think John wants to be the one who saves the Beatles and that's what he thinks that Klein is going to do through he's going to do through Klein and Obviously, he wanted someone in his corner as well, another person in his corner to counterbalance Paul's increasing power. But I think he thinks that um, that Klein is going to source all that. He's going to be the guy who, um, you know, tells them where they should go, what they should do, because John still needs that, and Paul doesn't need that. Yeah, I agree with you. He does want to talk to the group about it. Like, Klein bewitches John so that he signs immediately, and Yoko, you know. But I think that part of the allure of Klein is Klein said, you're the guy, you know. But it's not like John wants Klein and then just wants to go off on his own. If he didn't care about the Beatles, he would have left with Klein. He had Klein. What did he care, you know? Yeah, I think he wanted to um, sort it out. I think he thought that that was the answer. It's, yeah, it, I found it really hard to watch those bits, knowing what happened afterwards. He's just gushing, you know, about how great he is. And when he says, you know, I'm going to go with Klein. And you can hear a big bell, <laughs> a yes. bell of doom in the background. <laughs> Boom. It's that is it. But But that's the thing. There's little things like John saying, I want a film and I want it to say John Lennon throughout it. Or mm-hmm. there's little things that suggest ego and you know or when they're talking about you know paul's like well this is the only song we dig so far and john's like well i dig dig a pony and you know and yeah like there's little things like that that you can see with john and the fact that john signed with klein so quickly suggests how thirsty he was for that kind of support and figure you know yeah what's another guru isn't it and klein is very clever you know he he just stroked John's ego, probably at the expense of Paul. Oh, he was because he said that, you know, I know you're the leader and you wrote all the good songs, you know, and it's just like, you can imagine if Klein had said this to Paul at this point, I don't think Paul, well, I don't think Paul would have fallen for this. No. Um, But that suggests to me how we can't see it with John, but he has a great need to hear that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Also, you know, I mean, they are getting warned about Klein as well. Uh, Yoko is supposed to be this savvy businesswoman and she's kind of going along with it. But maybe because it's another step away from Paul. Partly, but also, you know, Yoko's a complete dingbat when it comes to Klein. And and (laughs) because, you know, I've looked at her interviews from the early 70s and it's just, it's painful for me. I'm like, where does she get this reputation? She's like, oh, he owns this and that. Complete fabrication, like fairytale land. But Yoko's like reflecting it like, you know, it's like not one tiny bit of skepticism from from Yoko. So, yeah, maybe Yoko is a better business person than John, but that's like a very, (laughs) very low bar. (laughs) You know? It's it's telling as well that Ringo says um, he might be a con man, but he'll be our con man. So 
I guess they are taking on board what people are saying. Yeah. But they just don't care because they feel like they're being ripped off and they feel like it's more about money, I think, than management. Yes. I mean, I understand it from that perspective. Like there was an interview that uh, George did where he said that like it was a couple of years later when somebody was like, why did you go with Klein? And he was like, well, we thought that Nat Weiss would find us $5 million, but we thought Klein would find us 10 and he would only steal two and we could manage him. <laughs> and it was like, oh, George, you know, no. Yeah. But, but it's kind of like that was their view was he will find us more money. And so I've interviewed a few people like Barry Miles, um, not, I've just had conversations with Barry Miles, but uh, Leslie Cavendish, Ray Connolly, some of these people that were around at the time, and they were mm-hmm. like, especially John and George were really driven by money at that point. Like they yeah. all were really worried, but those two were particularly worried. And that they, was after, just after they've been told that they were broke pretty much, wasn't it? Which is, and, and that's the thing is that Barry Miles was like, they didn't get that well taken care of. It's pretty tough to be at the height of like leading the whole cultural charge throughout the sixties. And like they've, at this point they're almost broke. And these guys weren't yeah. extravagant either. You know, like look at their houses. They're not Kings, you know, like John <laughs> kind of was with Yoko. They buy this huge house, but they're not these gazillionaires at this point. And it's kind of sad, you know? Yeah. Um, and also, and maybe it goes back to the the thing about them not realizing what they're going to mean in the future that yeah. it could all just end. Still, yeah. I don't think Paul feels that. Well, I I find it interesting because Paul goes, "Well, what are we doing this for? It's not for the money." Which I actually perked up when he said that because I was like, "Interesting that Paul's not as much as Paul is," mm-hmm. you know, sort of has weird money issues that se- doesn't seem to be motivator for him at that point. Like he specifically says, we're not doing this for them. And I, I believe him there. I think he's saying yeah. like, that's not what's driving me. So he also thinks that he can go out and make money. Yeah. Um, you know. When I was thinking of what they should be doing, I, I suspect that Paul should have talked to John and said, look, you're the best thing out there in the world, John. There's nobody I'd rather be partners with. There's, yeah. I need you and you're you're the best. Yeah. I'm not going anywhere. I'm all in. I suspect that John does not think that Paul's going to leave, but I think that John thinks that Paul's more interested in himself than he is in John, you know? And, and he's jealous, you know, and he's not just jealous, I think, of Paul's kind of dominance in, in the songwriting at the time, but of his, um, maybe his relationship with Jane. And when they left, when they left India and John was left with Cynthia, who he yep. was, you know, bored of, yep. that that would be that would be a thing that he kind of held against Paul, or I don't know. It's like they went through all this together, and you're okay, and I'm not okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, of course, you're you're getting better and better, you know, with this fame, and mm-hmm. you know, because '67 is a pretty peak Paul year. Like, they're really yeah. close, but Paul's doing incredibly well and sort of thriving. And now he's getting married to like this perfect woman. And John says this in '71. He was like. I was very surprised by Linda. I wouldn't have been surprised by Jane, you know? So right. he, he believed that Paul was going to get married to Jane, you know? Yeah. And so uh, I think you're right that, that I think it's both jealousy of Jane, maybe competing with John at that point for Paul's attention. Well, what was their relationship like Jane and John? 
they were jealous of each other and competitive. Oh yeah. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. Jane, when she came back from, you know, and it's in Hunter's book, she just says that she's very jealous of uh, John and Paul's doing acid together. And, you know, she said she's so jealous she could scream. So I suspect, (laughs) I suspect that they're a little bit competitive with each other, you know, and Jane's kind of like, even with the Maharishi, she makes the point that I want Paul and I to be finding our spirituality together, which is kind of, I get Jane. Jane's kind of like, yeah, it's good. You have your beetle buddies, you know, but I'm the main person to you. So, you know, that, that could be part of it. So I think it's both that Jane may be a competition for John in terms of Paul's attention. And you're right. And the secondary, like, I'm jealous that he, he's happy in a relationship. And, and so on both of those levels, you know, like John in the early seventies talks about possessiveness and jealousy being his two issues. Yes. Insecurity, but yeah. that, which is completely understandable. You know, he's, he's, so many people have, you know, died and let him down. And I think he's always just thinking that the next thing is just around the corner. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Brian's just died. Um, yeah. And the way you're using insecurity is interesting because it's not like a personal insecurity. It's that I'm insecure that people are going to leave. Yeah, it's based on his real life experience. It's not like, um, it's a real thing and it's not a real thing. You know, he's he's waiting for it. Sometimes I just think he kind of spun in terms of like, this is what's going to happen. He's going to leave and we're going to fall apart and I'm going to be on my own. And, you know. um, Catastrophizing. Yes. And uh, yeah. Yeah. And he says yeah. that, you know, that he, Yoko found him when he was drowning. And, and the weird thing is, is that when he talks about it and he was like, and then, I, and then I had Yoko and Paul had nothing. And it's like, what, why, why, <laughs> why, why does Paul have anything to do with this situation? But you know what I mean? Like it's very conflated in his mind, you know? Yeah. I think that he needs Yoko there to be strong so he can be in this tug of war with Paul properly, you know? It's yeah. kind of like he needs to be bolstered so he can compete. It's not to leave. It's that so he can compete. Yeah. What did you think of their, their live performance? Oh, it's magic. I, it, I think it's um, such a release after, the, after all the rehearsing. You kind of remember what they're doing. It, it was a bit I was least looking forward to because I thought I'd seen it. Yes, me too. You know? Me too. And just watching them play together. I, I, don't, I don't enjoy watching them play um, uh, live in the 60s. Yeah, yeah. It's like just the concert kind of, it's just nothing. Yeah. yeah. Um, you want to see them play in Hamburg and you want to see them play at the Cavern. Yeah. And yeah. this is kind of gives you an idea of what that might have been like. Yeah. They just switch. They just switch. As soon as they start playing, they switch. Um, I thought this is kind of related, but I thought it was interesting that when they play rock and roll numbers, and when they play songs that they've written pre-Beatles, they, they do them really straight. They take them seriously. But um, the Beatlemania songs, they take the piss out of every time they do one. And it's like that period. And, and whenever they talk about that period, they don't take it as seriously as when they're talking about pre-Beatles. I think that's really interesting. Um, it's like there's, a, there's a, a bit sandwiched in between The Cavern and Get Back. The, uh, oh, well, okay, The Cavern and uh, maybe um, the end of touring. Yes, yes, I agree. Well, Paul and John both date their 
you know, the fact that they didn't write together as much after that. And yet they do continue to write together a lot in 67, actually, and apparently in 68 when they were in India together. But uh, I found those moments kind of touching in the film, too, when they were singing songs that were cavern songs. You just get a sense Mm -hmm. of how bonded they've been for a long time. Yes, yes. Um, And they can just pick up songs that they played when George was like 14 or something. (laughs) I know. (laughs) And uh, he, he knows all the Lennon-McCartney songs, too. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very well, you know. And and when they're playing, like, Paul's song, uh, Paul's first song, I Lost My Little Girl, like, A, it sounded like a great song, actually. I really liked it when John's singing it. And, yeah. you know, they all know it, you know. And yeah. I can't believe they can all just pick it up and play it, you know. Only then I realized I lost my little girl, yes, I had that very last evening. That's uh, a Paul song, is it, or a John song? A Paul song. That was the first song. Oh, that, that was the first song that Paul ever wrote. Okay, because uh, John's singing, and I'm thinking, this is, a, this is a great song. But that's interesting that John's singing Paul's song. Like, that's yeah. why I, I think it's meaningful, is that well, this is when Paul's kind of unhappy about the way the project's going, and John sings this song, you know? Mm-hmm. And Paul does it for John with uh, Strawberry Fields. And what do you think? What's your read on them doing that for each other? I think they, um, they're just talking to each other, you know, through through, uh, through the songs. You know, the, 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 so that's their way of saying, you're great and I love you and, uh, you know, you've done great things. Hey, I woke up late this morning Only my head was in a world but the the live show i went to see it at the um the imax yeah and uh the shots where they're looking down on the rooftop and uh you can see them playing on the roof, but you can also see the police at the front door. Yeah. All the way down. It's fantastic. And it kind of shows that they were just these four little figures, but the music is is everything. I, I kind of peak halfway through the concert. I just feel so happy. And uh, I Mary, my partner, you know, she's not, she's, she likes the Beatles. She's not um, crazy like us. But when they started doing the song again, she was like, oh, are they gonna they're gonna do these songs more than once <laughs> uh-huh. and i said yeah yeah but at the end she loved it and she went to see it at the cinema here with a friend last week and uh i don't know what it is it's just it makes me so happy i wish it was a bit more billy on it they're doing the old uh announcements from the stage and yeah and it's 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 dramatic you know when mal turns the amps off it's all a bit half-hearted but it's still when it kicks back in when john's guitar comes back in yeah but yeah yeah and I loved how defiant George looked. He was like, oh, no, you're not doing that. For somebody yeah. who didn't want to go on the roof, George is kind of like, hell no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't turn off my amp. But uh, yeah, I wasn't looking forward to that. And I loved it. Yeah. And John and Paul were so connected there. I think like when they, you know, you see it less in Jackson's film because it's cut up. 
you know, you, I actually did not like that about it. I, I didn't need to see the story with the police as much. I like the people on the ground because you, you get a sense like that the Beatles are so part of the society. Everybody knows it's them. Everybody's happy yeah. to hear them. So, well, most of the people. And I love that. I didn't need to know about the police. You know, I, I would have rather just stay on them. I, I wish, I wish that we would have seen the full last day. You know, when they are actually dressed up on the day after that. Yeah, I thought I found that quite weird. Yeah. And then um, get back, that, that, that last day is interspersed throughout the film, isn't it? I didn't realise that that was all at the end. Yeah. Um, it, it was kind of weird in, in, in Let It Be that they are just sitting around doing nothing and then all of a sudden they're all dressed, <laughs> dressed up. It's true. What? It was nice watching it with a, a big crowd, you know, that everyone yeah. laughed at the same place and there was so much love there and everyone went mad at the end. Um, yeah. I am glad that I watched it on my own to begin with because it was such a, a personal thing. But then watching it with a lot of people at the end was really nice. Did you get a sense, like, you see Paul watching John and, you know, he kind of, like, he looks quite happy that John's really good. And I wasn't sure whether he was just watching him because he loves watching John uh, perform or whether he's a little bit like, is John going to get the words right? And, you know, just very... After he after he messes that um, line up, Paul does watch him intently because yeah. he's got to harmonize with him and he doesn't yeah. want to, you know, be. it's quite hard to harmonize someone who's just making up stuff on the spot. <laughs> I mean, if anyone <laughs> could do it, it was them too, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, Paul just, I mean, it's so weird that just before they went on that Paul was the one who didn't really want to do it because he's just so alive. You know? But why do you think he didn't want, I have my opinion about why he didn't want to do it. Why do you think he didn't want to do it? Oh, well, he, um, I can't understand why he didn't want to do it. He says that he doesn't think it's a, you know, a fitting end and he just wanted something bigger. Well, he liked the roof. That's the confusing part is that he was excited by the roof, uh, yeah. you know, initially. That's another great bit in the film where, oh where my God. they tell him and his, and his oh. face lights up. Oh, it's nice to see Paul happy after all his anxiety. And, he just, and he's just so right about everything. You know, the police turn up, as he said, they they should. Yeah, 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 exactly. Oh, and he's so excited yeah. when they show up. Yes. He's like, what? I got my <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he thinks if he gets in, he's you know, that it, they're going to have to make do. Like, you know, sometimes when you're pushing for something bigger and that you're like, I know if I give in now, we'll never do that bigger thing. I, I don't, yeah. he seems to be persuaded when George Martin is like, well, this this can be just a dress rehearsal. You know, so yeah. if it's not good enough, it doesn't have to be the thing. Yeah, and George kind of sums up their attitude, uh, the other three, when he says, you know, well, all the great things we've done were never planned any more mm -hmm. than this is. They're mm -hmm. kind of just, let's see what happens with the Beatles. Something always happens. And Paul yeah, really yeah. always wants to force it in a certain direction. Um, yes. not, not, I don't think for his own his own uh, glory, you know, but for the for what he thinks that they are and what he thinks that they should be doing, you know. Um, the whole playing in the desert in the amphitheater, it's just not them. It just yeah. isn't them at all. And... Uh, it's a, it's a 70s thing, really. That's looking forward. It really so. is, yes. Yeah. It's, it's sort of rock god, egocentric, you know, in a yeah. way that they aren't. And yeah. it, to be fair, none of them were into that idea. Like right at the beginning, Paul is like, he wants to do something memorable and different and get arrested or get like something that is interesting, you know, and big. 
And even his idea of like the, the news and then the Beatles break up, it's just like he wants something to be commensurate with how big yeah. they are. I mean, that's the day after they meet with Klein too. They'd had the meeting with Klein the night before. I just put in an episode that talked about this, but I, I think this is kind of interesting. It's my own thought, so maybe it's not. But <laughs> But this idea that I suspect that Paul wanted to have He's not sure whether the Beatles are going to fall apart or, you know, regel at this point, you know, because they're talking about yeah. both. And I think he's probably hoping that this will either rebond them enough to propel them on to something else. But mm-hmm. um, I, I think that Paul was thinking this either would be they'd go out in a bang or else they'd be closer and be propelled to maybe tour together, or do something. And then they go to that Klein meeting the night before and John's already signed with Yoko. And I think he's just maybe, he realizes that this isn't going to be the fix or the thing. Like, it's just kind of a, a negative that all of a sudden has come into the picture. And if it isn't that big a deal, like they go to the roof and it's not that big of a bang, then, you know, I think that's got to be playing on him. That all of a sudden there's this new evil guy that's looming. And the yeah. fact that John and Yoko signed, I don't know. That is incredible. Yeah. Um because you can see them uh, making Abbey Road and then saying, okay, well, let's just have a year off and do our own stuff and then we can come back. But all that is just impossible now, as soon as John decides. I, I wonder if John thought that Paul was going to be won over by Klein as well. I mean, John knows, John knows Paul. John knows the, the kind of people that Paul can get along with and can't get along with. Or if he knew that Paul wouldn't like it. And that was the whole point. I don't know. But no, I don't think that was the point. John really tried to get Paul to to choose Klein. I mean, in 1971, he's still saying that he's like, oh, Klein would love it if Paul would join and I would love it if Paul would come back. So he's literally saying that he and Klein are still hoping that Paul will see the light and come back to them. So yeah, I think you're right. I think he thought that Klein could win Paul over. Mm-hmm. And Klein talks about this, that he thought a couple of times that he was getting somewhere with Paul. But then the next day when he was like, and it would just be like nothing had happened, you know, like but Paul yeah. wasn't falling for his charms, you know. So, yeah, but I, I do think it was a I think it's a scary omen when John does that again. I don't think that suggests that John was planning to go off on his own because he could have just gone off on his own. He fights to get Klein for the whole group. He continues yeah. after the divorce declaration the next six months. He seeds that if Paul would agree to Klein, you know, and uh, and it's too bad. It's just like John needs John needs to have his guy. Yeah. You well, know? I guess once he's signed, then we can't go back. Well, also, I think he loved the feeling of having a having that. You know, he had that. We, I think that John's position was really supported by Brian. You know, maybe uh-huh. just because John felt supported by Brian. You know, maybe, yeah. maybe it wasn't one or the other that he preferred but it was just like i think john felt good there i like stroke hate the quote about um when klein finally you know was shown to have have ripped them off and someone said to george so paul was right all along wasn't he about klein and george said yeah but he always is isn't he (laughs) (laughs) that is so george and john did concede on tv he was like well maybe paul was you know maybe paul was right about Klein. I don't think he said right, but some of his suspicions <laughs> were founded, you know, and that always makes me so sad because they were so gung-ho on Klein, you know, and it, it, it tore them apart, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping that this film, 
Like sometimes when you hear the stuff about Paul, I think when you look at this film, you sort of, like I said, it looks like he's trying and doing the best thing. Yeah. It doesn't look like he's this master manipulator, you know? Absolutely not, no. He, uh, he's kind of, it's, the film's not about him, but he is the, he's, I think he's at the center of it all. He is. He is the protagonist um, of this film, you know? Even like I wrote this question to you and I, I said like, what should they have done? But I almost wrote it as what should Paul have done? Because that's the thing is that even though they're all invested, the one that you expect to do something is Paul, you know? But maybe after they had that meeting and John had already signed, he wasn't left with very many options at all. Yeah. If it had been the other way around, John would have hit the roof, you know? There's a lot of things that if Paul had done what John did, but yes, can you imagine the other way around? I mean, we would never have read the end of that in books about the the massive betrayal of that. But yeah, I mean, that bothers me that John and Paul had been together, writing together since 1957, and John goes meets this guy one night and signs with him and doesn't yeah. talk doesn't talk to Paul. It's you just, know, it's just. It's just personalities, and he's just constantly searching for an answer to a question that he doesn't even know what the question is. You know, Paul is Paul, and he's self-contained, and he's happy, and and isn't really, and he's he's found he's not looking for anything because he's where he wants to be. Yeah, that's why like the the breakup series looked at John because Paul's not that hard to figure out. He is happy. <laughs> like he likes the status yeah. quo. He does not want to change anything, you know? And so we have to look at why is John creating so much drama? You know, what's going on with John? Mm. And traditionally it's this idea that John wants to leave. And I don't think it's that John wants to leave. It's that he wants to figure out a new dynamic for whatever reason. Yeah. And and the signing with Klein to me is just a, a signaler of how, unhappy with something John is, you know, yeah. like, it's like he spoke to a need that was so great in John that John was like, I need you right now, Yeah, you know, and it kind of overrode it's, everything. Well, he wanted to, um, to, to readdress the, the power balance, I suppose. He just felt he was lacking in agency and power. And Klein was just another, another piece of armor for him to, to wear. Yeah. You know? But what's interesting is that like, Again, we can see that Paul, I think he's bending over backwards, and yet John still thinks he needs to have Klein. So that situation that looks very uh, unequal to us, the viewer, to John still looks like he needs extra support. Yeah. Maybe maybe he feels like, because, you know, they leave and they go their separate ways, and he's he's still not used to that. You know, he still wants them to be together all the time. Like yeah. it used to be. Yeah. And it's weird that Paul says at one point, um, you know, we're gonna do this and then you're gonna be off in your bag. Yeah. At the Albert Hall. And it's which is a weird thing to say because it seems like it's the other way around. John wants uh well maybe maybe they both want the same thing. No. Well Paul says it, doesn't he? He doesn't want this to be it. We do this yes. and then we just do another one. Yes. This should be the start of something. Yes, that's what I mean about that. Going on the roof, I think he's unhappy that that's all it's going to be versus something bigger. And I think, well, here's my impression about that situation is I think that uh, I think that that's John's loaded gun to Paul is that 
you know, that I can always leave. Like John doesn't really want to go and be on a stage and at Albert Hall for the next two years with Yoko, please. It probably should have called his bluff, you know, yeah, and yeah. been like, yeah, good luck, John. You know, I hope you enjoy that. Paul, in some ways, I think was too afraid of John leaving. Like you said last time, he gets emotional and irrational because John doesn't want that, please. I mean, John's just playing games. And this is a way of John controlling Paul. I think Paul is okay as long as he's John's number one when it comes to creating music and, you know, that world, he can go off. Because you just look at, like, Paul just chose to not live with them from the start. You know, he just doesn't seem to need that... You know, I think Paul needs to be John's soulmate in, in, in music and John needs to be the most important person in the world to Paul. Yeah. And they could have had that if they'd um, if they'd stayed at Savile Row. It could have been like just going in every day and being together without, uh, you know, and it's their space and it's and 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 it, that just all became impossible after Klein. I know. And I, I think what happened was that John, through all his actions, managed to convince Paul that he wasn't into the partnership. Like he really convinced Paul that he wanted to leave. Yeah. And Paul yeah. took him too seriously. And, and you know. Well, if he's making it, if he's blocking their songwriting by yeah. having Yoko, putting Yoko in between them, then it's a pretty... Um, clear message isn't it it might not have been meant like that but yeah to paul yes that's how paul's reading it and yet john never looks at yoko no you know like for all john's gonna go and sit in a bag on a stage i mean again if i were next to paul i'd be like tell him he should do that you know because, <laughs> <laughs> because he wants to do that occasionally you know i think i'm sure he finds that fun and provocative and you know i'm sure he gets a kick out of the stuff he does with yoko i think he legit enjoys that but it's also a negotiation tactic for for john and yet when john comes in paul is fully in on all of john's songs you know yeah. it's i love watching them work together and work out harmonies together and when they just stand up, stand up and face each other. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, nose to nose. It's fantastic. I've never had that. And, um, you know, they've got the thing in Get Back where to come up with a line, they chug along and Paul has a go and then John has a go and then Paul yeah. has a go. Fantastic. And yeah, it's great to see that because uh, all we really had before that was um, them writing uh, a little help from my friend in the book. Yes to get any idea of how it was that they worked you know they yeah. would say oh well we would sit facing each other eyeball to eyeball nose to nose yeah, yeah, and, be, yeah. and you think well did they, yeah. they? and they obviously did <laughs> i know and i love that scene where like because john almost forgets himself and gets really excited you can see how excitable john gets in that scene yeah. where i think it's two of us or something and then he runs up to the mic and then they're standing like literally an inch from each other which is so mm. weird and then they kind of look unblinkingly at each other. It's kind of yeah. like, it's just a weird way of communicating that they're sharing it's a weird. mind. It's weird, but it's kind of, um, it's, it's, it's desirable. I think it's, uh, you know, it's something that they were lucky to have. Well, that's the thing is, I think that's why they're fascinating is because not many people have that. And it is very desirable. And I suspect that John likes that extreme closeness and maybe doesn't mm -hmm. doesn't get the being that close one minute and then going home, you know? Like yeah. Amy Mann said this, that John's boundaries are just more porous, you know? But you can see how sweet they are 
together. Yeah. And they are working on like, give me some truth. They've talked about it, obviously. They've got I was some really stuff surprised. on the- I doesn't sound like a, a, a Paul song to me at all, the, the kind of thing that he would be interested in. And obviously he's, uh, you know, come up with we some of the bits. Songs. Yeah. Or should we do uh, hypocrites and write that bit? Do you know the other bits? My bits, I don't. Words are flowing out Sick and tired of rearing lines by seasick, narrow-minded shorts, hypocrite. All I want is the truth. We should change the heads, tell me some truth. I've had enough of reading lines. I wish they would have done it. I know, I wish they would have done it together because I really liked them together, you know? Yeah. I actually really liked Commonwealth too. I I thought that was a really fun little performance. Yeah, because you, um, again, it's like you hear stories, you read about Paul would um, be sitting there singing, it's getting better, and then John would say, can't get much worse. Oh, that's nice. But then when you see them do it, when um, Paul's in Commonwealth, and John says, yes. Mm-hmm. So funny, and, and and Paul he gets it straight away. Yeah. It's meaningless. It, it you know it's nonsense, but it's just it's them. Yeah, oh, I love I it. Know. I love it too. It's so great. I would have loved to have seen like this film for Sergeant Pepper. I think you're right that uh, White Album would have been really fascinating because I think that that was the bad. That was the the yeah. most fracturous album, and so that one would have been really interesting to observe. Well, Paul says in the um, the interview, I can't remember what song he was talking about, but he says that um, George didn't really turn up for Sergeant Pepper. He said he turned yeah. up for his own song. Yeah. Well, George actually says that too. So that probably wouldn't be a study in the band. That would have been a study in Lennon McCartney, mm-hmm. you know? So Revolver, Rubber Soul. Yeah. You know, all of those would have been really interesting. I also think that Paul wouldn't have been so careful. Like he's very careful here. You know, the, the stuff between them wouldn't have been there, which would have been interesting, you know? Yeah. I, you know, they're getting on so well in parts and um, it'd be great to see them really getting on well, you know? Yeah. When you... they were, what they were. Yeah, like you get a sense that they get along really, like that's the surprising thing. It's like there's so much chemistry there and yet you do have a sense that there's something there's an issue, you know? Yeah. And what was your impression of uh, Linda? I didn't have much of an impression of Linda, to be honest. She's quite um, forthright in her, you know, she's not afraid to sit there with them and talk about what's going mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. She can hold her own. It must have been so weird for her to, to be there when they are, you know, kind of falling apart a bit. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was interesting how invested she already is in all of Paul's emotions and all the dynamics, yeah. you know, she doesn't seem like mm-hmm. a girlfriend that is trying to, you know, negotiate her relationship with Paul. She's fully in, Yeah, you know, they're like a team and she knows what's going on and they're watching help together and trying to figure out what the Beatles should do next, you know? Yeah. Cause she's and- a fan as well. And she, she, she wants, she talks about them. She doesn't talk about what Paul needs and what Paul once, even though obviously that's what she's invested in. She talks yeah. about the Beatles as a band. Yeah. You know. Well, I think that reflects Paul's perspective. He's trying to do what he thinks is the best for the band. And I think those are the yeah. conversations they seem to be having. Like, what could we do next for the band? It wasn't all a big ego trip. 
that it's been represented to be. You know, they're trying to figure out how the Beatles reinvent and go forward, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because to them, it would have been a blip, I guess. You know, it's not the end of something. It's just we're going through a rough patch, like Ringo says, we've been grumpy for 18 months. You know, it's how can we turn this around? I mean, Paul does say, you know, if we're not going to do it properly, then we should just stop. I don't know how serious that is. But I'm really surprised to hear him say it. Yeah. So I think everyone's just trying to, that's what everyone's trying to do, just work out what they're going to do and how they're going to do it, what form it's going to take. And there are a few answers that present themselves, you know, like the studio at, at Savile Row, there's Billy. I think mm-hmm. it would have been great if they'd got him in the band. Do you? Uh, I do, yeah. Wouldn't that have been weird if all of a sudden he's a Beatle? Oh, wasn't it weird when Yoko all of a sudden was a Beatle? It's well, just Yoko, kind of... Yoko's not a Beatle. She's in the pictures. You know, she's a photograph. You look at a photograph of the Beatles. Yeah. And Yoko's there. It's so weird. It just seems normal to me now. Yeah. Um, well, it is weird to me looking at it. Like, you do get used to Yoko being there. But it is kind of weird to me in that I think but she doesn't contribute. Like, she's not, like at least Billy yeah. would be a contributing member, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I don't know whether I'm thinking about him being a Beatle in terms of you know, John Paul, vote- George Ringo and Billy. Exactly, like a voting member of the Beatles. Or yeah, but be just- certainly, certainly he could be like, you know, that guy who plays piano all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He could be in the band, you know, when they play live, when they record. Yeah. Because the dimension he added was just unbelievable. Yeah, he certainly was the perfect person for them, just in terms of like skill and personality. Yeah, and they're playing. They're kind of playing his kind of music as well. I don't know if if he'd have turned up for Sergeant Pepper. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the same thing. Well, he's also not all over Abbey Road either, and he could have been. Yeah, does he play on it? He plays. Uh, I think on "I Want You." Just so uh, happy. Yeah, but... it's weird that they had such a great time and and made such great music together, and then it just stopped. Yeah, I mean, he was an Apple artist at that point. They could have really That's had right, him yeah. in there. Yeah, yeah. It would have worked with, say, a Billy, but like not with a Dylan and not with Yoko. No. And then Paul brings in Linda or Jimi Hendrix. And then all of a sudden the Beatles just explode, you know? Yeah, I okay. don't really know what George is talking about then when he's saying Dylan, Dylan would join the band. I don't want to be sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't know if I want Dylan and the Beatles combined, no. you know? I, I quite enjoy it when John sings like Dylan, though, I must say. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Best bit of the film as well. It's the night before the rooftop. They all go and stay at Ringo's house. That's so sweet. They did? Yeah. They say um, as they're leaving the night before, John says, yeah, we're all going to stay at Ringo's. Oh, my God. I bet you that was John's idea. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Ringo didn't know anything about it. That is, oh, my God. That is the cutest thing. I did not pick that up. And that is so sweet. And that's kind of like, it's just sad. Because the thing is, yes, they should have had some time off and maybe they should have each gone and done an album, but they were family. And I feel like Mm -hmm. they were all traumatized. Paul says this, that it was an explosion. And I think they were all traumatized in the 70s by not, because who else were they close to? Mm -hmm. You know, I was just thinking this yesterday because I have a friend who's not a Beatles fan, like big Beatles fan. And she's been watching it and calling me and she's like, Paul's so hot. And, you know, I think Paul's hot, but I don't necessarily like, you know, I don't think of them as 
hot necessarily. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see they're all good looking in their own way. And I do think Paul, in this, he is, he is sexy. Like when you look at his kind of like bopping in the like yeah. the tour years, here he's much sexier. Like as a woman watching, you're like, okay, that's that's pretty <laughs> pretty, pretty pretty hot. Um, you know, I remember reading that it, he was more like that in the cavern, and then it becomes kind of cleaned up. Yeah, he's he's, he's loose. Uh, you know, John is quite upright, uptight on on stage. You know, yes. his voice is giving out the the passion. Yes. But McCartney's, you know, he's head to toe. He's feeling it. Yeah, yeah, he was excited. He does. But when you see him on stage, you know, like he's so loose and he's so in his yeah. element. I, I sort of feel like, oh, thank God Paul had this. You know, he's so desperately needed to go and perform and yeah. he loves it. You know, when you see Paul in part one and you see Paul on the roof, he is pretty rock star-ish. And it's kind of unfortunate that that Paul wasn't allowed to just be a little bit more. I feel like John and George won't allow Paul to be a pure rock star. Like John's too competitive. I think they're a bit more self-conscious as well, John and George. Neither of them are, neither of them flow the way that Paul does. Uh, in his everything right you know his melodies his body the way he moves when he's playing and they're a lot more static and uh, jerky you know so maybe they felt they felt self-conscious about being on stage to do that and and Paul felt self-conscious as well because he was the only one he was the only one doing that yeah Um, because I read, because there's a quote that Paul says to Brian early on that um, I'm going to make it without, you know, with or without these. Yeah. Um, and you look at Paul in the in the mop top for anything. I don't know. He's just a bit too pretty and it's a bit too. But then when you see him with his beard and, uh, you know. Yeah. He's a man you know, now. He is a man. Think, exactly. Yeah. yeah he's a rock star. Well, but that's what I mean. Like, it would have been nice if he wasn't dealing with John and Yoko and George Lee, like it would have been nice if Paul could have just had six months when he could have been not weighed down by the weight of the Beatles being together. That, yeah. That's what I mean. That it's kind of I like, see. you know, that I, I look at him and I'm kind of like, I wish this guy would have been able to just thrive and not have been desperate. Because every time I look at him, I think he's so sexy at this point. And yet he rarely looks like that because he's so concerned and hyper vigilant about yeah. keeping them. And I wish that he hadn't been so weighed down. And in some ways, this is what I mean by John not allowing him, as in there's a reason that Yoko's there and it's partly for John, but it's a partly, you know, so that Paul doesn't get all the attention. Yeah. And, and it's not even like I love John and Paul equally as, as musicians and songwriters. I'm much more defensive of Paul because I think he's been so misrepresented but um but there's just something like i kind of felt like i wish that guy had been allowed to just have more fun at this period you know yeah yeah it's hard especially as he is going through such a incredible streak um in songwriting 
and he's not allowed it's kind of like he's not allowed to celebrate it that's what i um, mean he's mm. not allowed to have fun at this point where he's at the top of his game he looks good and i feel like the next few years i mean he's kind of brought down by all the battles with the Beatles. And yeah. I, yeah, I just look at him and I, I think, I wish this guy hadn't had the weight of the world on him for the next year and could yeah. have just like had a little bit more fun playing in the, the clubs like he wanted to, you know? Yeah, you can see why he went away, I guess, for those few weeks, months that he did. Yeah. Um, it's kind of the wrong thing to do because he kind of lost control of everything then, the narrative. But uh, it must have been, must be incredibly um, frustrating and disappointing to to be in the place the way you belong, doing your job and doing it really well. Um, but people seem to resent you for it. And it's like a teacher's pet, don't they? Because he's you know, doing what he's supposed to be doing. It's frustrating. Yes. So My son says, um, he sometimes says in school that he's not, he doesn't like to answer all the questions that he knows because he doesn't want to be seen as somebody who tries too hard. Mm. It's, it's, it's school. Yeah. You know, you're supposed to do that. Yeah. He, yeah. That's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> and that's, but that's some people are like that, you know, they, they're not as invested as you are. So they, Kind of resent you for yeah. that. Yeah. And I think I think in some ways, like the John creating his new image is a way to compete in a different way. You know, like John found a way to be more interesting than Paul in some ways, you know, at that time. He certainly did, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he went all out, didn't he? He um couldn't get away from him for for a year after that. Well that that's why I think that John is is an interesting competitor or like an incredible rival to Paul because no matter how good Paul got he was like yeah but I'll figure out a way about doing you you know yeah. and on the roof I kind of felt like Paul loves seeing John at the top of his game and I don't know does John love seeing Paul at the top of his game I think John's more um again Paul's aware of everything and John just kind of concentrating on his performance mm. I like the way he's kind of been uh marking is it called in, in when you're in dance when you mark your steps you know go full out you just you know you go through the motions and then when you perform that's when you go full out yeah yeah can't seem to do that all the time but but john kind of really steps it up a level oh he does he's so good yeah. oh my god yeah it's incredible john's voice is incredible i mean john's got a beautiful voice and it sounds good mm -hmm. throughout it but then on the roof it's just like wow it's perfect yeah yeah what do you think of their styles in, in uh, Get Back? Uh, McCartney just looks fantastic throughout. I don't think he wears. He does rock double yellow at one point. I like the double uh, yellow, personally. I, I think that's a well. good Yeah, it's a good monochromatic look. He, yeah, but he looks great in black and he's got black beard. and. Um, that's the best look. Man, he should have done yeah. that more often. <laughs> uh, and... Um, John looks great. I just like I like him when he just wears his um, scruffy trainers and uh, yeah. denims. Yeah, this is a this is a good period for John. Yeah, John is is just so he he changed so much right throughout the Beatles. You know, you see those things occasionally where you see a picture of them from every year how they changed. Yeah. 
And with Paul and George and Ringo, you can still see them. They're still the same guy. Yeah. And John, it's like, who's that? Hang on. How did you get from that to that? And like you say, you know, they could grow a beard in their lunch breaks. And uh, How much testosterone I, these guys have? I don't know. I know. I couldn't grow a beard until I was 33. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've heard people say, like, why do people think that it's Paul who died? You know, like when they look at, they're like, Paul looks so different. Yeah. Like, no, John's <laughs> the one that looks different constantly. Like, look at John on Abbey Road versus, you know, get back. I mean, he's got that yeah. giant beard. Like this is a miserable John Lennon at this point. Uh, whereas he looks, I think he looks very sweet when he's off. Maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe he died. Maybe they were just really accident prone and they got another guy in and he died and then they just have to <laughs> keep getting replacements in. <laughs> yeah. Did they seem like a band on the verge of breaking up? Yes, in some of the things that they say to each other. Um, but but no, in the in terms of the way they play together and the way just the way that they are with each other. You know, it would take something big to to break them up i think and in the end it did it would take you know that, that it's it's a, it's a thing it's a family a love that's been um growing for 15 years or whatever yeah. it is yeah and they are a force you know a powerful force when they're together and facing the same way it looks pretty yeah it looks pretty unbreakable i mean it looks like they need a break from each other it looks mm. like they could you know go and do their own things and come back yeah mm-hmm. but to think that you know, in a year's time, they're really never going to see much of each other again. And they're never going to be all together again. I don't think, were they? After... No. After August? No, they yeah. were never together. Crazy. Yeah, it's very sad. I found it very sad when it was like the last time they performed together. It's like, why? They're so good. Mm-hmm. Like, I get the fact that they're all going into different stages in their life. But all they do is continue to make music. It's not like they, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah. You know, everybody uses this, this like, well, they need, like three of them had already been married for a long time. So I, I don't mm-hmm. buy that. It's kind of like, it's, it's unfortunate. They still had a lot. John needed the freedom to go off and make albums that weren't as good as the Beatles. <laughs> well, and I think it was very hard on John eventually. Like, I think the Beatles as a family was really important to John's sanity, frankly. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think it was yeah. good for John to not have his crew around him no uh, uh, you know and as he started to lose that he started his behavior was became more erratic and it's just um it just seems desperate at some point for somebody to see him and say look i know what's wrong with you i can fix this he's you know he's naked on album covers and um he's basically just exposing himself in every possible way he can Yes, he is. And he did it repeatedly that year. He did a film. He did the album cover. But it's just like, why this desperate need for attention? Mm -hmm. He's, he's, um, you know, to me now, he would be a kind of, you you would say that he was uh, on some kind of spectrum or other. There's something there that's stopping him. Why, Why is everybody else happy and relaxed? Why can everybody else just enjoy this and I can't? Yeah. Um, and he wants somebody, whether it's Brian or the Maharishi or Alex or Yoko or Klein, you know. Yeah. He needs to something of them. Yeah, to fix him. Okay, so that I think that's interesting. Like the one person who's not his guru is Paul. 
Like he's yeah. got this this bond with Paul and it's the one person he doesn't really use as a guru. Definitely Paul and him didn't have that kind of relationship. Yeah. Because maybe but maybe Paul did see him, you know, maybe Paul um understood him better than anyone. I think couldn't so. Couldn't fix him. Couldn't fix him, but you know, could could see him. Yeah, and I think he could manage John for a long time. And I think that Paul just got confused by John. <laughs> and and rightly so. John was a confusing character for a while. But I think that yeah. the Yoko and the stuff that he was doing convinced Paul that John wanted to do something else versus I suspect John wanted attention. <laughs> and, you know, but yeah, it's it's unfortunate. And I do not think that any of them, none of them wanted that outcome. You know, when nope, you look at... I agree. You know, you look at George. George is saying, like, maybe I do my own album. What do you think George should have done? Because, yes, you feel sorry for George in this. But by Abbey Road, he's got Here Comes the Sun and something. Mm -hmm. And something becomes an A-side. And Paul is quite complimentary about those songs. So I wonder if he just needed to keep going. Like, I wonder if it would have righted itself eventually. Yeah, maybe. I mean, they do treat him differently. I mean. Um, as far as we can see, after he comes back, they're more willing to listen to his songs. and So maybe these things just happened that it would build up to a head and then they'd have a blowout and then it would kind of reset. There's a bit where I can't remember what Paul says about it being the end of the band. It's just the, the and then there was two, that bit. Yeah. Ringo's face. Oh, God, I love him. He just looks so unhappy when... I don't know if it's Paul or someone else mentions that that could be it, you know, and it could be over. They might as yeah. well just. He looks doleful at the best of times, but <laughs> it's for true for him. He he doesn't. Un... I don't think he understands why and doesn't see any reason why they should stop. No. Right. Well, I mean, he's right. There's no reason why, you know, Paul's fully lit by the band. George is, you know, George just wants to be taken more seriously. But I was surprised by how invested George was right at the beginning of the film. Like George shows up, he's got ideas. He wants to talk to the band, you know? Yeah. It's not like he's like, oh, I'm over this, which, you know, you kind of are led to believe, you know? Absolutely, yeah. I I think the Let It Be film and all the stuff around it colored the way I looked at them going backwards as well. You think you'd see pictures of them together, you think, well, are they really, did they really get on that well? and see pictures of and, and uh, you know photographs like uh, uh the big day out yeah and you see uh, them together you just think that they don't look happy together and they it's probably nonsense they're probably having a great time you know the uh i've got a quote from the photographer of that and he just said the energy between john and paul was insane He's like, they had such a connection. He just said it was just crazy how connected they were. And he said, and in fact, the whole band had a connection that was really just something else. Yeah. And so that that's the thing is like something happened in the, the spring between John and Paul, some issue. And yet in the Mad Day Out, they do get close together again. It's I, I suspect it's when they are together, they can't help but have chemistry with each other. Yeah. You know, that when they're having fun and they let go of whatever they, you know, are their issues, it comes back. I love hearing things like with people who were there with them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Miles said that to me. He said, John was always at Paul's place. And he said, yes, they were absolutely best friends. Yeah. Uh, It's it's lovely. I'd kind of love to see more of it in action, you know? Yeah. And that was my favorite thing that I take away from the film is watching those two together. 
Yeah. It seems impossible that they they that you know that it could all fall apart so quickly. And um and it's no surprise that Paul still sounds, you know, angry about it. Yeah. Because you do get why Paul sounds angry about it, because it shouldn't have happened. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like if, if there hadn't been a climb there, it shouldn't have happened. It wasn't good for John in the long run. And I don't think John really meant it to happen because I've read in depth John's interviews that he gives from September until Paul quits. And right. he's playing games. I mean, he's laying out like, oh, well, you know, if the others want to come with us, they can. I would be happy if they, you know, came with us. And it, he's kind of like dropping these hints all the way along there that it's kind of like if you let me lead again, you know, I, I would be happy to do the Beatles. And it's kind of like it's just a long negotiation that Paul, I don't know if Paul took him too seriously or else just decided I'm not playing this game. And in the lyrics, Paul talks about the song, Dear Friend. And he didn't know why John was acting the way that he did. And he's like, was it because he was afraid of doing something without me? And yeah. he like he kind of recognizes that John's afraid. And then he, he said he could have called the song, What the Fuck, Man? <laughs> you know, and but he's kind of angry too. And I like that because he should be angry. John was kind angry, of a dick, yeah. you know? And 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 he's he's kind of he uh, he hasn't been allowed to be angry at John. Every time he says something faintly negative, people just jump on him. You know, the first time that he said that he was manoeuvring, I think, in the eighties, people went crazy. Yeah, you know, and that was said to Hunter. Yes, that was said to Hunter confidentially, and and Hunter published that. And and I I feel like that's that's a great point. Paul's not allowed to be angry. We were constantly saying this in the breakup series, and I continue to say that is like, we have to temper our view of what Paul says about John. Yes, Paul loved John so much, but he's not allowed to have a spectrum of emotions. And then Mm -hmm. this whole culture loves angry John. So we get this view of like, Paul just loves John and John's just always angry with Paul and it it becomes very skewed. But Paul should be allowed to be angry at John because, frankly, John and George and Ringo kind of were dicks yeah. at that point. And, and I think that things fell apart so quickly between those two reflects the level of emotion that is yeah. under the surface. Because if it, was, if it was lukewarm, I don't think things would have blown up. No, it just drifted away. Yeah. So, you know, you're saying before about it's, most of it's happening in John's head. Yeah. For him, it's something kind of been expecting that here we go again, you know, and maybe it's not just about Paul, maybe it's about his uncle and and, and Stu and um his mom yeah. Yeah. and Brian, you know. Yep. Yeah, I think and all so, those are playing. And so into he's, it, yeah. yeah, and so it's no go you know, and once he goes, he goes and there's no coming back. I mean once he explodes. Yeah. Uh it's it's total as in like he feels like he can't he can't lose face well he he does so much damage and he um it it just does so much damage that it'd be really hard to rebuild afterwards you know he does so much damage and like for example after the divorce declaration he does start to drop hints in in the media but paul's got an ego too like paul might have heard it and just thought yeah well you can call me and apologize you know, like, 
you know, I, one one thinks, well, Paul should have known that John was like leaving breadcrumbs that he, you know, that he could negotiate. But maybe Paul's got an ego too. And it's just like, if he doesn't call me and tell me he's in, I'm not going back, you know? Yeah, that must have been traumatic for him and something that you wouldn't really want to revisit anytime soon. I'm sure in the back of the, all their minds, they thought, well, back of the John and Paul's minds that they would end up together again at some point. I absolutely believe that they thought that. about John. Oh, yeah. Snodgrass. So tell me, what, what drew you to that film? Um, it was um, a friend of mine, David, he sent me this book of um, short stories about fictional, um, about real rock stars, but fictional stories. Uh, Hello. Um, oh, careful, there's a dog. And, um, Scary doggy over here. Hello. It's Chickpea. Hi, Chickpea. And it's a great story. And, you know, it's about Lennon. Uh, he left the Beatles in yeah. whenever, 1962 or three. And, uh, you know, and what he was up to 20 years later, 30 years later, uh, you know, obviously he hadn't made it. Uh, and I thought it was great. And then the same friends contacted me again, said, oh, we're going to get it made. Do you want to do music for it? Yeah. Um, see, of course I did. <laughs> and, uh, but the, and the more I read the story and then I read the script, I kind of thought, um, you know, it's about someone who had a big chance and blew it. Uh, the, uh, cause, and they've only got really themselves to blame. And um, I just kind of felt an affinity there, not with John Lennon, but with the character in this. Yeah, yeah. So every morning I would, I had my <laughs> microphone set up with the, the little um, slapback delay, which straight away makes you sound like John Lennon. Yeah, yeah. And just wrote songs that I, you know, I didn't try and inhabit a character. I just wrote songs that, that I would have written anyway, I think, for myself. And it was great to make. And I, I went to the filming uh, for a couple of days. And I don't think any of us really thought that we were making a film about John Lennon. It was just the character. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and these songs were kind of supposed to be happening in his head. And Ian, the guy who wrote the, the story, he, he was there the day I was there. And he wasn't really much of a Beatles fan at all. Um, but he thought Lennon was a really fascinating character. Mm, he is. And because you can, you can tell he wasn't much of a fan because he does buy into the whole uh, uh, that McCartney was, you know, the wussy one. Yeah. And that, yeah, the... and that they were playing. You know, they got kind of half successful. What is yeah. it? He says at one point, um, we could have been as big as the Hollies. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I love doing that. And there was supposed to be a film, a full-length feature, which I don't think that's going to get made now. I get a phone call every two years saying, we're going to do it, we're going to do it. <laughs> and then nothing happens. But I, I, I wrote quite a lot of songs. Did you try and channel John's sensibility or did you try to deconstruct a John-type song? The sound of the voice, the sound of the echo puts you there. Mm. And um, I kind of wrote in more of a rock and roll idiom, you know. I was trying to make music that didn't have any Paul in it because that's kind of what happened, you know. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, this that's is, right. This is where it gets that's weird. Right. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought I can't write anything that sounds beatly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, fascinating to think of John Lennon music without Paul or Paul McCartney music without John. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Paul McCartney without John, yeah. So that yeah. I yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, it's not gonna happen now, but um I still use I've wrote so many songs for it that a couple of them I have to change names, but they can just as easily be my songs, you know. Well, they are your songs, so that's good. Well, they are my songs. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's a, that's a fascinating idea of like, you know, what what would John Lennon write? I mean, I guess we know he wrote one after nine oh nine without Paul. You know, that seems yeah. to be, you know, or Paul wrote, "I lost my little girl." I haven't seen it, obviously, but I read a little bit of the background and and the, the idea that Paul was going to be this kind of like, I guess, slightly lightweight performer does play into the like when you use that quote before about Paul talking to to Brian and saying that I'm going to be a star no matter what yeah I you know between that and Paul being much more of an artist than people give him credit for he's so underestimated you know this is that's somebody who was pretty driven to succeed if he's saying that to Brian you know it would be fascinating to to have seen how he would have done it I mean would he have been like a Scott Walker type guy would he been on it you know on his own or would he um because there's no one else like him it's funny how he doesn't seem to like in the early 70s i think he said he liked bands like he i don't know i guess he grew up in that that's all he knew right he likes bands but he likes but he tells them what they have to play you know (laughs) he likes bands when he's the star yeah 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 but he doesn't quite want to be just on his own yeah it's all understandable it just all goes back to personality doesn't it yeah who would you like if you were working with those guys who do you think would be the easiest to work with as a musician oh i don't know if any of them would be that easy to work with um <laughs> i guess ringo <laughs> yeah 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 for sure um if i i like to listen to the uh the demos that mccartney did with elvis costello mm-hmm. and you can you can because you can feel McCartney pushing Costello to his absolute limit, and I think that he would be hard to work with only in the way that you've got to keep up with him, you know. And um, but you probably end up getting a lot out of it, and you probably find out things about yourself that you didn't know that you could do, yeah. Um, whereas you know, John Lennon, we'd probably just both sit there staring into space and uh, <laughs> not getting an awful lot done, <laughs> and George. Know about George? Yeah, I don't know. Um, George is weird in the way that he has to explain. If Paul writes a song, John writes a song. They just sit there and sing it. He has to explain it first. He has to say what it's about. He has to say some bits of there's a bit weird chord change here, and because he's not that 
confident. They do. They perform their songs, even at the they just written them. Yeah. And George is always a bit quiet and a bit, you know. I don't know about George. I don't know how that would go. Mm. Depends whether he's had his breakfast or not. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> earlier about the fact that you know if only Don and Paul had talked that might have helped a lot and one of the things that was not included in the film that I, I'm sure you know about because you've heard the tapes is when Paul is talking to Neil about Neil Aspinall about the meeting and he he says he knows why John isn't talking and then he says it's because he thinks that they have this elevated form of communication and you know it's important because you always hear well John let Yoko talk for him. And here Paul is saying like, I know why John's not talking, but we don't have that level of communication, you know? So clearly yet. Paul's saying, <laughs> yes, exactly. So clearly <laughs> Paul is saying that uh, he, he understands that John is trying to communicate. And so like John's lack of verbalizing things does not mean that he is, does not think that he's communicating, right? And so yeah. what do you think about that? Well, I, I just think that he thinks that Paul should, well, not should, but Paul knows what he wants. Yes. Paul knows what um, he's going through. I wonder if what happened in India was just, just basically him realising that that's not the case at all. And I grew up with a, a guy who, we, we formed the band together and he was a singer. And he was the guy that I always thought knew what I was thinking and talking about and the other thing is that um you know we were friends from when we were 12 years old and he kind of moved on um naturally he grew up emotionally and and I kind of got stuck somewhere and so we lost whatever communication that we had or whatever understanding that we had we kind of lost and to, it was really hard to watch him move on and uh, not become successful because we kind of both, you know, we were, we were in the same band. But as a person, his development moved forwards and I, and I kind of got stuck. And uh, it became a thing where, I, you know, that he didn't really understand me at all. <laughs> and I thought he did. And, I, and so you don't really say what it is that you want to say because you think he knows. Right. And um, I kind of think that maybe that's what John was going through as well. And I don't know if that's what he got from Yoko, that, that she did understand. Well, yeah. I maybe think he John... spilled everything to her. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, there's a couple of things. I think John and Yoko uh, are much more similar to each other. You know, they, uh, you know, both had kind of fucked up childhoods they're both sort of you know just thinking the world revolves around them 
I think they're yeah. both extremely needy. Like in the early days when John got together with Yoko and, and John would go to see Cynthia, you know, she would call and say she was going to commit suicide. This was in yes. Cynthia's yeah. book. You know what I mean? Like, it's this extreme emotion that I need you, you know, I'll die without you. That I think is pretty, like they're mirrors to each other in that way. Very similar. So I think that Yoko was much more intuitive to what John was thinking because she herself yeah. felt that way. Yeah. And he probably um, gave her a lot of information as well to work with when they first met, you know, when they first started being together. Yeah. Um, stuff that maybe he didn't say to Paul because he thought Paul already knew. Well, I think that's a um, great point. But, you know, John, he's like, he he does want to be mothered, but he also wants to be fathered and brothered and sisters, you know. <laughs> He, uh, yeah, he is very needy, but it's just when I see him saying nothing and just staring, and it, it's it's kind of like uh, it's like you're looking at people through glass or or through, um, and everyone's just behaving normally, and you can't work out how they're doing it, and you can't understand why they're not talking about you or they're not, you know, these things that are pressing down on you. Why that's yeah. not being discussed? Yeah, just having <laughs> a good time, and and you know, those people are just been um, living their lives and having a good time. They don't realise what's inside your head because you're not telling them. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, you're right. That John seems to take things so personally, you know, in in a way that because he's so sensitive and so, you know, this is some of the trauma of John's childhood. I think, um, yeah, makes him. A, incredibly self-centered and I think we talked earlier about how you can see John gets upset when he screws up that song and it's just like John is talking to himself you know like kind of there's a criticism going on you know yeah yeah you know he's all the way through the film he's um quite happy to make fun of himself I think and then but that yeah. one time he is properly upset because everyone else has done all their bits and everything yeah. else is pretty much perfect you know but he sounds it out as well. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, he's very good at, you know, inventing <laughs> language and verbalizing uh, that way. He is. He is. But tell me more about this. You had mentioned this idea of like this form of mutism or this idea of, about, you know, this situation where you've got something in your head that you just, yeah. you know, is so present. Um, it's, it's something that, um, something that's going on like um it could be a business thing it could be a musical thing and you feel really strongly about it but you expect everyone else or one other person yeah to know what it is that you're thinking or what it is that you want more like you know yeah um and when it becomes apparent which is usually too late that they're not thinking that at all yeah if you know they didn't know there was something to know yeah, uh, it can be really frustrating, and it can be, and it, and you do feel let down. Um, and this is where I guess the emotional support person comes in because <laughs> they're the ones that do know. You know, I, I, um, when we started the band, I always had someone else on tour. I would just mm -hmm. give them jobs that they were rubbish at because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's not what they were there for. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because. 
the relationship that I had with the rest of the band wasn't what it had been, you know, when we were at school and stuff. But that was never spoken about, you know. I didn't know why I had people on tour with me, why I needed people on tour with me. Um, yeah. The band didn't. The people on tour with me probably didn't. <laughs> you know, <laughs> none of these Did things any... are spoken about. It's just a, yeah. a whole web of silence. And... <laughs> <laughs> Did it impact anything negatively, you having people, or was yeah, it just kind of like... of course, yeah, because, um, you know, it was another person to feed and another person that... Uh, you know, I would just go off with. And so, yeah, yeah, it did. Right. Well, that's interesting because I, I was thinking about the fact that we had this conversation about maybe Paul was feeling hurt that he, you know, that Yoko was there as a support person. And, and then I was thinking, but I don't think Paul was ever John's emotional support person. Right. You know, I, I think that Cynthia, apparently when Cynthia and, and John were breaking up, Paul, he said this, that he tried to bribe them to stay together. Which suggests to me that he knew how important Cynthia was to John. Like his relationship with John was probably predicated on having a Brian and a Cynthia there too, to keep John balanced. And so, yeah. yeah. So I think that Paul was John's confidant and, you know, the closest person to him, but I don't Mm -hmm. think he was, it was his emotional support person. I do think you're hitting on something when you can see that Paul is upset with Yoko there because, you know, while Cynthia was John's support person, she didn't cross over into the creative or anything else, whereas Yoko's moving into that realm. The only thing is, what I think, is that the soulmate bond between John and Paul is not being broken by Yoko being there. I think he's using Yoko for support to continue in that relationship, like to be a worthy adversary or to, I think what's critical to John is that Paul continues to respect him and see him as somebody really special. And and I suspect John needs all these things around him to feel like that, you know, Yoko. I think and, so. I, yeah. I think so. I think that, I think he feels that, that Paul is uh, moving forward and he's kind of stuck. Um. And so he's just using uh, all and any weapons that he can find, you know. Yeah. Or uh, not weapons, armor maybe. Armor, yes. Tools, you know, to um, to be an equal, yeah, or to be seen as an equal. To be seen um, by by Paul, you know, I like who who does John want to be seen as an equal by? Paul, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, and I, you know, and Paul kind of will say that. You know he's the boss, and uh, that the John is the boss, and you know he will say all all the right things, but it's his actions. You know, it's he controls what goes on in the studio pretty much, but because nobody else is, you know? <laughs> and uh, you know it's him that's coming in with all these blockbuster songs. Yeah, it's incredible the songs he comes in with, and you know, and John's kind of struggling a bit in that regard. Although his that songs great, he's bringing the film. Yeah, that's the thing is, I I love John's songs. I, I really do. I think John's songs are great. You know, I love Dig a Pony. That I actually yeah. prefer Dig a Pony to Don't Let Me Down. But yeah, it's a, like you said, it's a weird but fantastic song. But yeah, yeah. like these are some of Paul's most famous songs. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me. 
Speaking words of wisdom, let it be. And in my hour of darkness, she is standing right in front of me. Speaking words of wisdom, let it be. Let it be, let it be, let it be, let it be. Do you think that that would have scared John? Yeah, in a way, I'm not sure that he wishes that he was writing the same kinds of songs. Um, but he must realise that his songs are kind of these little weird things. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Paul is just taking off as this, they're just instant classics. You know, you can't believe yeah. that they haven't heard them before the first time that they hear them. Right. Yes. You know, why do they have to learn how to play Let It Be? It's <laughs> Let It Be. <laughs> uh, maybe John didn't want to write that. And maybe he didn't want to write yesterday. But apparently when he mm -hmm. wrote Imagine, he was super excited because he said yeah. he finally wrote something as good as yesterday. So it's like maybe he doesn't want to write those exact songs, but he wants to write something that is as respected, you know? But right. the classic. absolutely agree. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's on his mind. And I think... John thought, well, if Paul can do that, why, you know, I should be able to do it as well. Right. It's interesting because Let It Be is one that John complained about later and said that, you know, it like may as well have been a wing song. And that always perplexed me um, because they spend a ton of time on it. But I noticed when I was watching it that Paul says, well, there's only two verses. And then John goes, well, we could write some more. Yeah. And then Paul's like, hmm, or, you know, he's like, I guess we could do that. But it's it's like they don't ever do that, you know? Yeah, it's, it's all it's all kind of uh, after the fact, isn't it? The, um, oh, we didn't like Maxwell, we didn't like Let It Be. It just doesn't come across at all. Right. Well, John's interviewed in the spring of like 1969 and he's like, oh, you know, it's it's like a, an absolute hit. He's talking about Let It Be that's an absolute hit. So he knows at that point. But I just wonder if the fact that Paul doesn't really take him up on writing it, that makes John feel a little bit of blocked out of the song. Absolutely. So it's just, I think it's, a, you know, it's a, a multitude of things. Songwriting, his emotional state. And Paul doesn't have any of these problems. Or doesn't appear to have any of these problems, you know. Well, his main problem is John. <laughs> that That's like 90% yeah. <laughs> of Paul's <laughs> problem is John. <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah, and I'm not sure that Paul suffers from the same kind of um, mutism, if you know, it's what it is. I just think he's more old-fashioned. And I'm surprised, actually, when he says that he couldn't say that he loved John, because I thought yeah. they did. You know, I thought they'd, uh, they'd gone through Hamburg and they'd gone through all their drinking phase and their pot phase, and I just thought they'd yeah. settled into this thing where... Everyone was telling each other they loved each other. <laughs> well, it but would maybe, seem that you know, way. they knew. Yeah, but maybe it's an empty, you know, there's a difference between yes. saying, I love you, man, and, you know, yeah, I yeah. love you. Um, Ringo professes his love for quite a few people in that film. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're right, though. There's a difference between I love you, man. and But, you know, Paul tells stories about the fact that he was like, you know, there's a story about Sergeant Pepper, how they were told that you could say, I love you through their eyes. And so the photographer said for their photo to try and communicate that they loved 
whoever they were looking at in the, the Sergeant Pepper cover. So he tells this story oh. and then you can see John looking straight at like, I think it was something that they did at the time was like, well, we'll speak through our eyes. And, you know, Paul and John are always like <laughs> looking at each other. Yeah. So, you know, I think I think they have this weird telepathy and they're 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 trying to communicate. And, and your point about this, John having something extremely um, present in his mind. You know, if you look at the song like I'm So Tired, that's basically mm-hmm. the theme of that song, you know, that he's obsessed by an idea that can't let go and he wants to tell somebody but then it's kind of circular like I, I i'd like to tell you but i'll know what you'll do and it's kind of like yeah. that's around the time he writes that around the time of india you know and yeah, sometimes it's like you're you, it's like you're, you're rushing around a circular room and all the doors are locked and you just need you know kind of starts closing in mm. and all you have to do is open the door and say this is what I feel. And yeah. It becomes, but you have these, uh, it's a block, you know, it's like, a, you know, that's what it is. It's just a block and it gets is worse. Is it a fear? Is it a fear? It can be, yeah. Um, yeah. And it's also self-doubt that whatever it is, is that, that you're thinking or, you're, or what you want is wrong. It's a lack of uh, confidence as well, I guess. Hmm, interesting. And that's, well, up, that's upbringing, that's being told people who have, um, you know, spectrum <laughs> you can tell I'm a doctor, spectrum issues, uh, you know, <laughs> criticize a lot more when they're kids than, than, than people who don't. And so well, you yes. kind of doubt yourself a lot. Well, by all accounts, Aunt Mimi was, you know, John's got a double whammy where he's got parents that have left and it's yeah. not like they just have abandoned him basically in his mind as a mm-hmm. child. And they did to yeah. some extent, they were just irresponsible, Absolutely. you know? Like there was no reason yeah. why John couldn't have been raised by his parents. But then by all accounts, Mimi was extremely critical too. So, you know, yeah, he's kind of got that double whammy. Plus, you know, John probably had some ADD or so whatever he had. He wasn't good at school. So he had many of these issues that would have led him so. to. Yeah, yeah. I suspect, you know, when he met Paul, some... Sometimes I feel like the fandom and unfortunately, like the story of how they met, I think it's been underplayed how important it was to both of them to be seen. The fact that they're songwriters and musicians at a certain level, a certain level of genius and brilliance that nobody else would have had, you know, Mm -hmm. and for like John immediately wanted Paul in his band, this kid, you know, it's just kind of like he knew how good he was. He knew that they had some kind of chemistry right from the start, you know, that John in, in yeah. tells Hunter Davies, like I dug him. He looked like Elvis. He was good, you know? And yeah. uh, you would want someone like that in your band. There was no question about it. Um, just based on how he looked even. And the fact that he was good as well, because it's going to push you and it's going to elevate you and your, um, and what you want to do. But also, um, if this really good person thought you were the greatest. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. And Paul would have seen the same in John, but maybe not maybe not in, on a musical level, but certainly he was a good looking kid, you know, and he was, uh, he was older and he was this scary teddy boy. 
yeah. guy. Uh, Paul was ever scared of him, though, to be honest. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think he had John's <laughs> number, like, from day one. From yeah. day one, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's another thing. He talks about how John is, like, the softest guy he's ever met. Like, I think Paul got confused in the 70s because that was a different kind of character than Paul was used to, you know, but mm -hmm. I, like Barry Miles talked about how worried Paul was about John in the 60s. But, you know, I don't think Paul's scared of John. It's just everything's down to the, um, you know, the Rolling Stone interview and the Imagine film where he is quite hard, you know. But, but then again, you've got the hippie who turns up and he's lovely to him, you know. Well, uh, I think I think that the hardness comes from John being wounded and being like yes, John yeah. was absolutely he was shattered by the breakup of the Beatles. And, I, you know, I think when when we talked about the wound issue, I think the wound issue. John is uncomfortable because he's wounded. He may think he's the wounded party or he may think he's wounded and then realize he's wounded Paul. You know, like he may know that they're yeah. in a bad situation, but I think that the you know, the way the story is told is like, well, John's upset because he, you know, he's wounding Paul. And I think the interesting thing about that is John puts out the song, How Do You Sleep? That everybody's like, damn, you know, John really was awful to Paul. But man, how upset do you have to be to write a song, not only write that song, but then record it and then decide, yes, let's put it on the album. Like you've got to be really angry, which means you've got to be really hurt, you know? And get the other two people closest to Paul to play on it as well. One of them. Oh, yeah, Ringo without any. Yeah, thank God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a horrible song. Um, there was <laughs> horrible. A, there, was a, there was one of those What If John Didn't Die and another one essay in The Critic. It's like he starts off and it says, um, John is delighted that uh, Double Fantasy and Milk and Honey sell more than tug of war or whatever which he dismisses as granny music it's like, oh, oh my god on. straight into that oh my god it's so tiresome like it, it's like there, there's two different paradigms there's this old one but like if you dig a little bit deeper none of that exists you know what i mean mm -hmm. like i'm not i'm not trying to sell this podcast perspective it's just not true like you look yeah. at the you know double fantasy wasn't selling that well John was incredibly nervous about it when it came out. I think some of the songs are directly to Paul. Like, you know, first of all, if, if you don't understand the connection that Lennon-McCartney had, everything's wrong. And I right. think Brandy music is Jim music. Is what music? Jim, Jim McCartney music. Yeah, yeah. I think it's very loaded for John. And there's a reason why John calls, you know, calls attention to that. I don't think it's just like he doesn't like that kind of music. I think it's very, very deeply like it's family, it's gym, it's all that kind of stuff gets loaded in there. So he does kind of resent that, you know, they both lost their mothers, but Paul had this huge network of support right. that John didn't have. He had a, you know, a rather cold, stiff auntie yeah, yeah, yeah. And Paul had just, um, you know, hundreds and hundreds of aunties <laughs> and uncles who were all really jolly and singing and around pianos. And yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 
I mean, one of the things I absolutely love about Paul is the stories about like how he's like the Prince of London in 1967 and his aunties are always coming and staying with him. It's the cutest thing ever, <laughs> you know, and he's like smoking joints with them. Like there's something so, oh, you know, nice about that. And I think that yeah. is connected to Paul's granny music because he wants them all to be included, you know, like yeah. when John's in 1970, when he says that he's making songs for the workers, not thags and tarts. I mean, he's being very exclusionary, you know, like there's yeah, the, the real artists. And yeah. Paul, um, I think that's a kind of a, a new thing then that this, this rock and roll thing where I don't think it existed before that people would say it's got to be rock and roll. Otherwise it's, you know, not valid or it's right, just right, right. people's yes, music. Yes. And, um, which kind of came to a head with, punk say 10 you know mm-hmm. few years later yeah whereas you know the great artists make art well primarily for themselves but to be enjoyed by as many people as possible yeah you don't just you don't make art just for a certain you know, <laughs> the intelligentsia of people yeah. yeah well that's yoko though. i guess you know, i i do think that's partly yoko you know she was um you know she had a certain snobbery of of you know coming from the art world and you can see she does think that that art should be doing something for society which is interesting but she also seems to be a little bit you know she's snobby about the Beatles music when she comes into it you know that it's yeah not not real art and I think that John bought into that I had three conversations with Ray Connolly and he just said she was extremely influential and John wanted to be accepted by the artist crowd and you know it's just, it's a different crowd. Also, you know, I, I would highly recommend that people check out Yoko's um, self-diary from 1968. She gives a lot of information. She does not like it when John's not macho. She, you right. know, she talk, Yeah, she likes it when John is tough. Like, she really likes a certain John, you know. Oh, wow. Is that something? Where can I read that? Is that a published thing? Uh, um, I'll just get it online, can I? You can probably search it. It's the one where Yoko talks about, like this is, she's been together for three weeks with John and she's in the studio and- um, Oh, okay, yeah. That one, yeah, where she talks about the fact that she's glad that Paul's not a woman because he'd be a great thread. And then she talks about how she feels like she's got a connection to Paul and John, Paul and her have some kind of vibe in a way that she doesn't with the other two. And she's like, they're very, I'm sure they're nice people, but we don't have that. But it's, it's crazy. You know what it made me realize is how insane Yoko is because she's, and I, you know, I don't mean like truly insane. I just like Yoko's as crazy as John is for sure. She talks about like every day she's so worried that he's going to leave her. And she's like, it's like having a poison yeah. pill. And it made me realize how into John she is too. Like, you know, she kind of obsessively likes him. At that point, you know, I think she always loves John, but I think it changes. Yeah, I mean, that is what it's like when um, uh, when needy people get together. <laughs> you know, it's mm-hmm. um, it becomes obsessive, and uh, you know, and it's hard to be apart. Yes. Not necessarily, and, it, and that's all not all down to love. It's a lot of it's down to fear of of the other. You know, 
leaving. I, absolutely. That's like Yoko calling Cynthia's. I, I think that those two fit so well together because they are equally needy. And then they felt better with each other there, you know? Yeah. yeah At yeah. first anyways. And, and that probably, to your point, that probably was painful to Paul in that I think he knew that John needed somebody, you know? I'm sure Paul didn't want to be that person for John because that's not Paul's role, you know, is to, yeah. you know, be by John's side every, he wants to be the creator with John, you know? He wants strong John, yeah. Yeah, he wants but, strong um, John. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Going back to the thing about, um, uh, we were talking about the Imagine film and how do you sleep mm -hmm. and that stuff. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's such a fleeting moment in time, but it's so well documented, you yeah. know, uh, um, that it just it, it overrides everything else. And it's such an unfortunate, and it's brought into relief by this, the Get Back film, because you're seeing him months before, and he's not like that at all. And he's, you know, him and Paul are getting on fine. And um, I think that really helps. And then if you had a documentary like months later, after yeah. How Do You Sleep, you know, you'd get, an, again, a completely different picture. Well, you've got video, and I will we'll post this again, of John, you know, six weeks later, saying Paul's his best friend. You know, mm -hmm. so, you know, I can sort of see how Paul maybe didn't, because he knows John's like that. He knows John is going to strike, you know, like that when he's upset. And then the next day is, May Pang talks about that, how John would get really upset and then would be so apologetic, you know, and so yeah. sweet after that. And, you know, Paul says that John told him, that jealous guy was about him. And I just wonder when Paul learned that. Yeah, you know? I'd like to know that as well. I mean, you know what I mean? He, yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I don't know how he could hear that without realizing it was about him. I mean, I don't know how, uh, I don't know how that would work. It's so obviously about him. It doesn't make sense otherwise. <laughs> it's the whole breakup story. Um, how did nobody else know? You know what the interesting thing is? You know, John said my world was Yoko and I, you know, I was born to live with Yoko Ono. And so that song became about Yoko and not that John didn't love Yoko a ton and Paul loved Linda a ton, but these men also had a love, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It must've been, um, it must've been such a wrench for both of them not being together um, after 14 years of being, you know, joined at the hip. I think it was um, extremely hard for both of them. Yeah, and then to only see each other a couple of times after that, it's just uh, it's heartbreaking, really. Because Because yeah. when you look at it from a distance, it's just, well, why don't you just go and... <laughs> there's nothing stopping them. Yeah. You know, external forces, maybe. It's their own thinking and fear and upset and lack of communication that's basically stopping them, you know? Well, I mean, external forces in the way that, you know, of Yoko's jealousy and yes, yes. neediness. Mm -hmm. And Linda just wanting Paul not to be hurt True. anymore. Yes. Yeah. Um, like during the when you did the Ram thing, and uh, Paul and the engineer were talking about the Beatles, and she came in and said, "No more Beatles talk." You know? Yeah. 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 That's not. I don't like the Beatles, or or it's just I don't want Paul to be hurt anymore. You know. Yeah. That is the whole breakup series, basically in that song. You yeah. know. Yeah.
So that was the end of part one. We'll be back with part two very soon, so please keep an eye out for it. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, bye bye. I'm just a jealous guy, look at me. I'm just a